Welcome to an Axe of the Blood God special U.S. Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and joining me is practically frickin' everybody on the U.S. Gamer team. Right now, I have with me Katie McCarthy. Hello, it's me. It's been a while since I've been on, or I was on here like not too long ago, I feel like. This was like a month ago or so, yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Mike Williams. Hello, hello, folks. How is everyone doing today? This is Mike Williams, reviews editor of US Gamer. What? News editor Matt Kim. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm not going to do what Mike did. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, my lovely co host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Uh, man, we have a real gong show for you today. And a little later, we're going to have the UK team on board, too. I'm going to, I'm actually going to Brighton. I'm going across the ocean, and I am going to get them on the on the mic as well. And the reason that I'm getting the entire gang together is we're going to be talking about the year in video games in general, not just RPGs. We are talking about all of the games, all of the games that came out in 2018, every single one. It's going to be an approximately 1,200-hour podcast. Yes gonna be great go to the bathroom now (laughs) so when i look back on this year of video games um, we we just spend a whole bunch of time putting together our top 20 uh, games of the year Uh, that should be going up later this week as of the release of this podcast and the thing that i keep going back to is there's no clear consensus game of the year It's, it's one of those last year was full of like wow like look at these all-time classics this year it's kind of broader rather than deeper wouldn't you say yeah i i'd say it's like a pretty like i was like even on like my personal top 10 it's i think last year it was just like you know it's like near tomata and like breath of the wild and like all these like big games that everyone can like i guess in agreement say like oh these are like pretty great games that will be remembered for like the next few years or whatever and I feel like this year there's, like, a lot of smaller games that are really good and a lot of, like, bigger games that, like, have some, like, severe flaws but, like, are really strong in other ways. So I feel like it's more eclectic of a mix, I guess, this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I feel like um, it's hard for all of us to decide on a game of the year, which is kind of why we're taking this format. We're, we're all just kind of having a bit of a free-for-all here. But when I look at the top ten, right, like, I look at there are a lot of really good games here. I mean, Hitman 2 really good game tetris effect really good game uh into the breach i mean that is a heck of a good game like this is a really strong top 10 overall like i can feel like i could recommend any of these super easily yeah for sure i i feel like oh there's like like i think a lot of people were thinking of 2018 as like impossible to live up to 2017 because there's like so many big 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 games and yeah i feel like what 2018's been good with is there's like a like a lot of good game like just in general but like none of them are like oh my god like you have to like run out to the store day one and buy it but it's like i've had like a great time playing games like consistently throughout the whole year where i feel like last year was kind of like the first few months were like really strong and then it just kind of like died out almost it it definitely feels like this year there is something for everyone yeah definitely. uh so like even amongst ourselves, we have people who play games like, you know, Dragon Quest XI, uh, or maybe you're a racing fanatic with Forza Horizon, there's Monster Hunter World, Celeste, Red Dead Redemption. There's a lot of different games that appeal to different people. 
which is why you'll probably see when we start publishing our personal lists, a lot of variance between us. And there's been a lot of discussion behind the scenes uh, as to which game ends up quite where it is. A, a lot of fighting, which is why we're doing this. So you can see some of that fighting in real <laughs> a, time. A lot of fighting, yes. There's been a lot of like, are you on crack? No, I'm not. You're on crack because you don't like this game sort of thing. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I think the main debate is pretty much God of War versus Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it. We are recording the day after the Game Awards. And of course, God of War beat Red Dead Redemption 2. I feel like that will be the case across a lot of different outlets. Plenty of outlets will pick Red Dead. Plenty of outlets will pick God of War. And I'm, I, I know that there's a there's a pretty big split on the team on our team as well. Like I don't know if anybody would necessarily put God of War above Red Dead Redemption Two, but I think the problem is nobody would really put anything above them. I I think the one there there's one dark horse that's sort of in consideration in that sort of melange, and I don't think it's going to win anything. But that's Celeste, which is the one I've also seen talked about. And Celeste won a few awards last night, like Best Indie Game, I believe. Yeah, it was Best Indie Game. And Games for Change, I think. Yeah. But not Best Soundtrack somehow. Yeah, not Best Soundtrack. RDR2 should not have gotten Best Soundtrack. Come on, people. That over, like, it's a really good soundtrack. But, like, but you're talking it, about, like, no. Octopath Traveler. You're talking about, like, Celeste. Uh, I, I just well, Octopath really has a very catchy soundtrack, but it's not better than Red Dead Redemption 2. Wrong. Red Dead Redemption I, 2 has a more complex soundtrack. I would <clears throat> argue that Celeste's soundtrack is probably better because there's, like, this, like... I mean, like, I think Red Dead's so- score is fine. I feel like the first games is more memorable for me personally, but, like, Celeste, I feel like, had this, like, cool dynamic quality where, like, the more you, like got into a level the more the music would like kick in and it felt like mm-hmm. it was going it was moving along as you like as you were moving through these rooms and stuff and i thought that was like a really cool element of it and it was just like really good music and the remix the remixes and the b-side stages were really good i don't know i, I felt like celeste deserved it because like when i think back on red dead i remember like a few of the song moments and that's like really it like i don't really remember like red, the- red dead oh, has really strong hooks like, there are, like, three or four strong hook songs that yeah. you will remember. But the rest of the soundtrack, I don't... Like, it's not bad. I just don't think it's as memorable. Yeah, the well, it's really ambient, nice. right? Like, you commit a crime, and this really subtle kind of menacing music starts to play in the background. Yeah. You uh, get into a big set piece, and suddenly the gar- guitar twangs start. <laughs> but, of course, everybody's going to remember the, the, the song as you're writing back in... Uh, right after the end of Chapter 5, right? I mean... And that that was a great. It was one of the best moments of the year in terms of games. Yeah, I yeah like I I, I just feel like when I compare the soundtrack RDR two to like the first game, I feel like the first game just overall had like music I would remember more. Like I still listen to that soundtrack sometimes because like good like folk type music. Whereas I feel like there's some like there's obviously it's good music. I'd probably put it up there for the of the best soundtracks of the year, but I don't think it should have gotten the award of the best soundtrack of the year. You know what has better music than either of those games? Monster Hunter World. And here's my argument. <laughs> it has a musical st- it has a distinct musical sting that perfectly overlays over everything every time a new monster shows up. So every time you hear that sting, you're like, "Oh crap, that monster's here." That's and it's going to yeah. start messing things up. And s- and especially some of the bigger ones like the some of like uh, the Pink Rathian and and things like that. 
the music is just straight up epic, man. It is really, really good. Like, I I really like Monster Hunter World's music. If, if you can't tell who the Monster Hunter head on this gamer's <laughs> staff is, I'd like to introduce you to our editor-in-chief, Cat Bailey. <laughs> Monster Hunter World converted me. Uh, like, mon- I was not into Monster Hunter, and I even played Generations Ultimate. I gave it a fair shake. It is a good game. I can see why old school Monster Hunter fans are really into it, but it's maybe a little too stiff, a little too granular for me. I'm sorry, don't hate me, but I found Monster Hunter World just struck the balance, and it gave me a gaming experience that I haven't really had before. Um, I agree with you, Kat, so don't worry. Yeah, well, yeah, Nadia's on my side, all right. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't been able to get into Monster Hunter until World, and I gave it a pretty good shake with other games. How far did you get in World? I can't remember, but uh, it's definitely one of those I want to go back to at a moment. I just can't get into the core loop of a Monster Hunter game. Um, the the hunting, gear-making cycle is just not my thing. I love it. So Well, satisfying. I mean, I am an RPG fan. I think that's kind of my joint. Like, that's what I'm looking for. And with Monster Hunter World, um, I, I think the thing that's really satisfying about that game is, yeah, ultimately saving up for the best weapons but and the best equipment, but also the moment-to-moment encounters are just excellent. Like... Uh, when I'm, I wrote a huge, like, twenty five hundred word article just describing my huge battle with, uh, as I already said, the the Pink Rathian and how it moves all ac- all around the map and it there's give and there's take and when you strike a huge blow you feel like you've done really major damage and that's what that's what distinct to me is the actual monster battles. Yeah, it's definitely like something I wrote earlier in the year as well was just how alive the ecosystem was and how much I love that, just how the animals just kind of depend on each other and they, they prey on each other when necessary. And even the fact that you use glowing fireflies instead of like a traditional marker to show you where to go. I, I love that. I think that's amazing. Yeah, when uh, for a long time this year, like Monster Hunter World was basically my favorite game of the year. And I think the only reason I didn't push for it harder to be at the top of the list is... I was a little disappointed by the DLC, I think. Um, I was hoping for more interesting events. I, I didn't think the seasonal events were super interesting. They they introduced some more monsters, but mostly it just felt like a branding exercise a lot of the time. Like, oh, here comes Final Fantasy. Oh, here comes Devil May Cry. Like, I was waiting for a whole new area, right? Right. Behemoth hunting would be pretty cool, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I heard it was one of the hardest ones. Well, yeah. it shows that it shows that, like catching a, a friggin' devil Joe, just like with hanging in its jaws. That just says it all. Oh, the devil Joe fight was really good, but also really surprisingly easy. I was surprised. What were we gonna say, Mike? Yeah, I got into Monster Hunter uh, earlier on, and then I, I I just sort of fell off. Like I liked the loop, I just wasn't as deep into the loop as you and uh, Hiran, who's over on our UK side. You'll hear him on the UK side of the podcast. Uh, I just didn't get into it as deep as you guys did. So Monster Hunter World was on my list, but it I, was I think it's one of those things where, like, if you like a, what 20. Monster Hunter World so, is selling, uh, you're going like, to really, really like it. Like, this, I'm, this is part Katie of has told me on more than one occasion she doesn't like Monster Hunter, and I'm not surprised 20, at all because like, trying to she fight is, to push our game up or down, like our faves up or down. She kept list. trying to push it down, uh, but. I mean, Katie, you're really into, I mean, like narrative, among other things, and Monster Hunter World just doesn't have that. I I feel like this is like a big misconception with me for some reason. I only like, (laughs) like care about narrative and story or like 
I, that's not the case at all. But that's like, like the first thing you always say if you don't like a thing is the story is so boring. <laughs> I mean, that's like an easy thing to grasp on, but it's like, I don't, that's, true. that's not like my only hook. Like there's a lot of like grindy games. I like like one of my top games last year is PUBG and that game has no fucking story whatsoever. <laughs> like, that's true. Yeah, she's the Black Ops 4 fan on the staff, yeah, believe it or I'm not. I'm like the one person really into Black Ops 4 this year, and no one has joined me. It's really sad. That game's great, and no one... I'll play it with you sometime. I got oh, it still fun. on my PS4 somewhere. It's so <laughs> Somewhere deep in a data. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly like the first Call of Duty in like... God, I can't remember the last one. I played like Advanced Warfare a bit, and I didn't. That was the one that was like trying to be Titanfall, I think. Well, the last few weren't very good. Like yeah. WW2, not good. Yeah, Infinity like, Warfare, really not good. That campaign. And I feel like, <sighs> honestly, dropping the campaign was the best thing it could have done. Because Blackout's really good, like surprisingly. It's, it's basically PUBG, but more polished and there's like more interesting stuff because it has like all the weird specialist abilities so it's like you can summon like an rc car and like drive it around and then blow someone up or like there's like helicopters and there's just like more interesting level design in general because like a bunch of call of duty maps to like stitch together so there's like these weird like houses that are like super like garish and like fancy in the middle of this island for some reason and then there's like random like shooting galleries and stuff and there's just, like it's, yeah that it's, really works like putting the little bits of map together because all of the bits of map were designed for standalone call of duty encounters yeah. so they play well so you're putting them into this larger map and that means each of the hot spots is specifically designed for encounters whereas i think pubg uh, and Fortnite are a little bit more, I guess, holistic in terms of map design. Like, every hotspot isn't necessarily as well designed for gun battles. Yeah, and I feel like since, yeah, it's like a, it's a bunch of, like, multiplayer maps, right? So it's like, these are maps designed for people to run through. Whereas, like, in Fortnite and PUBG, it's like, here's, like, a lot of buildings... But there's not, like, these, like, designated, like, lanes and whatnot that, or, like, even levels that Call of Duty maps usually have. So there's, like, a lot of, like, flexibility, and it feels, like, more like a game where you shoot each other, because that's, like, what Call of Duty is at its core. And, I don't know, and Black Ops just, like, it's, like, fun. I I think, I have a problem with, like, the progression. That's, like, pretty much my one quip with Black Ops 4 is, like, it's really slow to progress and, like, earn more cosmetics and stuff, but I feel like that's kind of, like a core to the Call of Duty series over the years, whereas it's, like, leaned towards, like, microtransactions and everything. Yeah, uh, the last time I checked in on the Call of Duty com- com- community, they were really pissed off because it was, like, 20 bucks for two gun skins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, like, uh, like, they did last year, they implemented uh, microtransactions after launch, which is, like, I feel like the Battlefront 2 effect, right? Where it's, like, people don't want, or publishers don't want to be the next EA. Like, they don't want to be, like, hated on for their however they implement microtransactions so they do like the safe thing and they put it on like a few weeks after launch because like critics probably aren't playing anymore because we as game journalists like move on from game to game so quick it's like pretty rare for us to like stick with the game and then it's it's just like they they're thinking they're going to be avoiding most criticism except for like fan criticism obviously the people actually playing the game uh and they've like tuned that stuff and whatnot, but it's it's definitely like very obvious what's going on there. 
You know a game is special when you just keep coming back to it long after um, the the usual coverage cycle is already completed. I mean, that was me in Monster Hunter World. It, it kept me... I, I stuck with it for like three months or something like that, which is pretty nuts for a game. So uh, I, I think that's a fairly telling sign of whether a game deserves to be in a, a top 20 or a top 10 list. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I feel like... And I didn't even review Black Ops 4. I think... Did I get it? I don't even remember if I got a code or if I bought it. Uh, but, like, when I was playing it, like, none of my friends were playing it. But now that's been on sale for, like, Black Friday and stuff, like, so many people I know have it now. So it's great because it's, like, I used to play Overwatch every day, but then no one I know plays Overwatch anymore. And same with PUBG. So this is kind of, like, my new, like, go-to multiplayer game with friends, which I was, like, really missing. Because, like, the only other multiplayer game I really play regularly is Splatoon 2, but I always played that alone because it's, like, Nintendo's matchmaking sucks so it's, it's nice to have like a, a competent and like really polished and like fun like i really like the specialist classes like it adds kind of like, like hero shooter element to it that you wouldn't think call of duty it would work with call of duty but i think it works really well for black ops 4 and it's it's really fun and i'm excited for like the next year to see like what else they add to it and whatnot yeah and you were like oh I, i've been looking for that multiplayer shooter i mean of course there's Fortnite. Everybody's gone over to Fortnite, but I don't feel like anybody on the staff really cares for Fortnite this time around. No, I I, I gave it a really good shot, and I can see the appeal, but I just uh, I I just couldn't hang on to it. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna download Splatoon 2 instead, and I did, and I liked that a lot better. I, I like it. I just don't have time. I I, I don't like it at all. Like, my, and I think it's because I didn't grow up with Minecraft. Yeah, like that's my, an interesting assessment, but I like Minecraft. I was saying in, like, our Slack, I think, like, I, like, I need, if I'm going to be playing a shooter, I need the shooting to feel good, and it's, like, mm-hmm. the shooting just doesn't feel good in Fortnite, and, like, what Mike was saying, it's, like, it's, like, accurate, and it works, it's, like, okay, it's, like, it, it it's not, like, horrible, it's not the worst thing in the world, but, like, I don't know, I play shooters for the shooting, like, for, like, how the guns feel, and how the weapons feel, and stuff, and if that doesn't feel like it's worth like if that gun feels isn't good i guess which is like the dumbest way to put it it's like what's even the point of me playing this like it basically in in the gulf between let's say doom and on the other end fallout 4 fortnite is somewhere in the middle there hmm. it's not great it's not horrible it's fine it i don't know if job. it's fine i think actually it's bad <laughs> <laughs> i think it's really bad damn <laughs> And I think the only reason that uh, it has its hooks in everybody is because it has an addictive loop of uh, getting cosmetics, because it's cartoony, and so it runs on a lot of things, it's free to play, and it has that interesting hook of being able to do the Matrixy Minecraft kind of building thing, which makes for like a much more interesting viewing than in PUBG, where like you'd be just sitting there with a sniper rifle or something like that. Uh, so, like, it has all of the ingredients, but at base, I don't think Fortnite's that good. You know what? I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you... I- I'll give Thank you. Thank you. All right. I-, I will give you... I will Cat give you Fortnite. <laughs> she does. points for Cat. I will, I will not the- expend energy defending Fortnite. Moving on to games that are actually good. That's it. Moving on to games that are actually good. We do have an, a, at least a couple of uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, advocates on, on this chat, and I'm I'm just going to kind of cede the floor 
and let you guys talk about why, how good it is. And I, I can hear all of the blood god, usual blood god listeners kind of perking up and going, huh? huh? <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it even more in our RPG uh, wrap up. But Nadia, take it away. <laughs> Well, what have I? What can I possibly say that I have not like expended thousands of words on? Like, I just, I, I really enjoyed myself with the game. It has, um, yes, it is a little slow to start, but once you kind of hit that midway point, you're not going back, and it's just uh, a very colorful, animated world. Toriyama's designs are as great as ever. The only really bad thing I could say about it is the music sucks, and the person who makes the music sucks. But, uh, uh. I loved it, and I know I might be, Katie and myself might be the only ones who actually really enjoyed it, but uh, I, I know I'm not crazy, because I know a lot of people out there really enjoyed it, and Kat, I think you should give it more of a chance, I think you'd enjoy it too, although I do understand, okay, you wanted to come on the Switch, fine, but it, it just seems like you've dismissed it entirely, and I, I don't think you should. I haven't dismissed it entirely, you I am going to play it. You that you're like, I'm not, yeah, it's just, you know, it's too slow. And what I got, that. but it is too slow, and I like frankly have other it. games that I've been enjoying more, like Red Dead Redemption 2, I got The Witcher 3 still in my pack pot log, like I was playing Dragon Quest and playing Dragon Quest and playing Dragon Quest, and finally I was like, this is this is I'm grinding through this I'm not like I can't wait to get back into this and I picked up Persona 5 and I immediately fell back into Persona 5 and I was like okay interesting and then I just wanted to play Persona 5 more and like I still got Persona 5 on my backlog so three things one (laughs) uh unlike everybody else I played Dragon Quest 11 on PC and I downloaded the not legal soundtrack uh mod that put the symphonic soundtrack back in the game so uh, the music complaints aren't a problem but it, dragon quest 11 is very old school and what cats sort of getting at naughty is the the old well you gotta watch it for a season before it gets really <laughs> oh, good God. which can be true which yeah. can definitely be true um but sometimes we don't always have as much time to watch an entire season. And especially this year, there's just so many games that it's hard to be like, well, dump like mm, 15, like 10 to 15 hours into the game. And then it gets really good. Like it's hard to make that selling point to other people. I mean, you keep like, you keep obfuscating the soundtrack. The soundtrack is a huge sticking point for me. Because when I'm playing an RPG, often like a soundtrack can be a big selling point to me. And if it's not a great soundtrack, then at least it shouldn't be obtrusive. But when the music is actually bad, like the alternative is turn off the music or listen to like a podcast or something. And I don't really want to do either of those. Like I really want to get invested in the game that I'm playing. And I'm sorry, but the soundtrack is horrible. See, I, I definitely call it like very average, but I don't think I. I <laughs> it's not it very fun. average. No, it's it's like it's like, a freaking dentist drill in my head. The soundtrack sucks. Like it's. Well, I'm hoping that uh, when the Switch version comes out, they'll replace it with the symphonic one. Although that's. Or they uh, just like replace it with a new composer and stuff, so it's not like a Holocaust. He owns part or of the franchise, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say yes by all means. So like, joking. but yeah, he owns it. We've completely rescri- and this is a bummer to me because everything I keep hearing is like, oh, the sound, the story gets really crazy, and like we love the cast, and the cast is amazing, and once once everybody's together, like it really picks up and goes places, and I'm like, oh, great, no, this sounds like a Dragon Quest game, perfect, 
but it's getting to that point. Like I've had to work to get to that point. It's not a, I am like really wanting to get into this. I'm having to push to get to that point. And and I'm also like deep in a backlog already. I'm two, two years deep at this point. So like I have played the first like eight hours of Dragon Quest Eleven. I've played like the first 10 hours of Octopath. I've played like maybe six of Persona 5. So now we're we're moving back in the list for me. <laughs> <laughs> back to that 2017 life. But one of the games that m- might be a little lower on our list than a lot of people, I, I think, or a lot of sites, I think, is Spider-Man, um, which is number nine in our top 20. And uh, we have some very passionate advocates for it on the staff. I hear Mike. I hear him breathing. Here we go. You're like Mike, like preparing. Just like readying up. (laughs) Mike, is is Spider-Man in your top three? It is, right? Uh, In my personal top three? Let me check, actually. Yes, it's in my top three. Okay, okay. It was, so my my third spot was between Spider-Man and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and I will futz with that day to day. I've and I've AC Odyssey's it. even lower. Yeah. So, um, but I'm used to that. Like I said in the Slack, like AC Odyssey is, I think at uh, almost like twelve or thirteen, somewhere in that range on our list. And I was like, I'm just glad it's on the top twenty. so um but yeah spider-man i i really love spider-man and i i think spider-man is a fantastic game it captures the feel of spider-man it's probably one of my favorite spider-man stories game or movie all together and i still keep coming back to it like i'm the only one i review the dlc so and it's just it feels so good to play on a moment to moment basis and as i put in the slack i was like this is one of the most platinum games um this year period actually period i believe the list because it's was. short because it's the and perfect it's easy to length. get yeah it's it's like just the right length like people are platinuming this game very easily because they made it just the right length and in a world full of 60 80 100 hour monsters spider-man is like 20 25 hours and then you're done you're completely done and that's great to me so especially as a reviewer yes yes (laughs) Um, i remember the thing that stuck out to me the most about spider-man is definitely the the swinging uh swinging through new york and that kind of thing like i i they really nailed that, and I think that was the most important thing to get right. Yeah, and and I, I believe the the uh, complaints are Matt doesn't like the combat because he thinks it's Arkham because everything superhero of that style is Arkham. It's him. literally Arkham. It literally okay. Blood, blood, blood. You literally walk along little beams at the top. You string people up like Batman does. And then oh, the you stealth. kind of sneak no, but Matt's like, talking about people, the... and then you like instead of punching people, you just pull stuff down. It's like literally the same structure. <sighs> oh as my Arkham. god! It's, it's just, so like, it's, not. It is. Go it's back just and a play Arkham. Fluid. It's like go it's back like and same... play Arkham. Dude, it's the same. It's structure. really not. It's really, really not. <laughs> Mike, like, why is Spider-Man, it not? Spider-Man, like Spider-Man is... plays differently because he's like a more nimble dude. Obviously, correct. Using your webs, webs to like pull stuff down than like throwing punches and feeling and like, batman snaps to a target from very far away like 
if you turn around in Arkham and hit the punch button, Batman will snap all the way to the target from very far away. Like, Arkham is a much more aggressive fighting style. Even the closest, if you were going to say it was like Arkham, would be like Catwoman in City? Like the small Catwoman stages Mm. where she's a far more nimble character who can't take any punches. That would be close, but it's not like Arkham. Like, Spider-Man and Batman do not play the same from a mechanical perspective. I mean, we're not saying they play the same. We're saying, like, the structure of the combat scenarios is exactly the same. And, like, you can tell they played the Arkham games and we're like, okay, this is, like, a structure that works for superhero games. But I'm going to side with Mike on this one, actually, because even though structurally it's similar... I think there is something to be said for successfully translating that to Spider-Man in a way that's like satisfying and but meaningful and feels faithful to the character. That was the problem with Spider-Man. Is the com- like once you get to a point, like you once you unlock that web blossom ability, you can like take out so many people at once. So there's like not really that much challenge to it. And, and it's that- just like you once you get the like once you unlock the ability where you can like rip away guns, you just like swing that around. And it's just like it was just like boring and repetitive. Yeah, but they like, nailed the webbing up people and webbing up objects and everything. Yeah, and that was and, the most and, important thing. And especially if you go for the combat challenges, to get the top level of the combat challenges, you have to play the game the way it's actually meant to be played, which is using all of the gadgets in concert. Oh, it's a like very gadget hairy game. Batman has very few gadgets that work in the middle of combat, Matt. I think just the flow of I just I think just the flow of Batman is different because yes. it's very considered and then there's a burst of action and then you're done, right? right. Just like Batman. Whereas Spider Man is much more frenetic, like lots more bouncing around the walls, webbing up people, like you know, environmental I just interactions. I don't understand why Spider Man had stealth at all if like cause so much of the combat is like fast and quick. Because and I like, mean you're gonna be above people naturally. I mean yeah, there is but- an element where you're setting yourself up, scouting the room like that's just part of the natural flow like the of the combat super annoying so like you could clear out the whole first room stealthily and then no matter what for the second like wave of enemies they know where you are and it's like how would they know where i am when i i i, I will give you life? that i'll give it's you like, so that annoying. one definitely and the mary jane stealth missions yeah there's mary so, jane and like, miles so instant bad. fail stealth is always bad yeah um spider-man definitely had the best photo mode oh for oh, sure. so yeah. did yeah there's so many good uh, shots of like people on trains, people playing basketball as Spider-Man. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like so. Like I, I, I finished Spider-Man, and I think the story is like really good. Like that's kind of like the the thing that kept me going was like I was really invested, and I like Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, so I've like kind of naturally excited for it. But I don't know. Like I like playing it. It was just like I've the only reason I was feeling like this was getting such hype was because it was spider-man like there's really nothing like that amazing about it aside from the story like i just felt like i'd kind of played all this type of stuff before like even the swinging was in spider-man too it's like but the swinging is like really good still in like the ps4 one but you know it just feels it felt like definitely a little bit deja vu-y because it's like this very open world checkmarky template and like all like I, I was gonna platinum it because I obviously it's like so short and I was still playing it. But then I like hit this moment where I was like I don't I don't even enjoy this. Like why am I still doing this? Like I was kind of like mind numbingly playing it. 
I would like to point out that Spider-Man 2 The Game came out 14 years ago. Yeesh. And Arkham wow. Knight came out 3. So that's the last Arkham game, even if it was Arkham Combat. Arkham Asylum is like almost a decade old now. Yes! Oh it's a good game. That's what, I mean, it helped define like an entire genre of superhero games. And I think with Spider-Man, uh, the success of Spider-Man, I think a lot of companies are going to be scrambling to try and do something somewhat similar. I, like, we could see kind of a golden age of superhero games before very long. Yeah, sure. I, I think Spider-Man. it helped for me mechanically in that I had to play Return to Arkham, the, the dual remaster of Asylum and City. Was it last year that that came out? I want to say it was 2019, whatever it was. It, it was relatively recent. So I was able to play the Arkham games just prior to playing Spider-Man. Whereas I think a lot of people have more space between what they remember Arkham is and what Spider-Man is. So let's get back to the other big Sony exclusive really quickly. Um, we were talking briefly about God of War versus Red Dead Redemption 2. A lot of people are putting God of War at the very top of their list, and I can totally understand why, because God of War uh, completely revitalizes a dead franchise, it gives it a new spin, uh, a lot of people are praising its maturity in the way that it's translated, it's obviously a really gorgeous game, I think the combat is excellent for the most part, especially when you're fighting like the Valkyries and that kind of thing, um, and I'm just curious, like, so... I know that Katie isn't the biggest fan, though ultimately she liked it. Uh, Mike, you're a big fan of it. Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed God of War, which is surprising because I don't think... I think I played God of War 1. Uh, I thought God of War 2 was good, but a bit excessive. And then I don't think I played another God of War game after that to completion. So God I was not a... Yeah, I was not a big God of War fan or a Kratos fan. I think the only reason I knew what had gone before is because before God of War came out proper, I had to do a history of God of War article, so I had to look up, like, everything. <laughs> I looked up, I, I played God of War 1 and loved it back in the day, and then I, I really enjoyed God of War 2, but I really was mad that I felt like they had screwed up God of War 1's story. Like, because I thought God of War 1 had a really satisfying conclusion. And then they were like, no, actually, God of uh, Kratos is a bad man. And then they mm-hmm. added in all of this extra stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this, no, I don't like Kratos anymore. I'm not in on his redemption arc. Uh, I don't like that you're extending his redemption arc. And so I never finished 3. And I never played any of the, of the prequels or anything like that, even though a lot of people see the PSP games are pretty good. Yeah, but, and- Yeah. And, and over the course of the story, as they keep adding stuff on, like, I mean, he's, like, finished his revenge, but there's more to do. And he just keeps going, and he ends up being, like, like he's kind of an asshole aimed in the correct direction. But by the time you get to the later games, it's just, like, he's just an asshole. He's just, <laughs> he's just awful, yeah. God of War, the new one, succeeds by sort of recontextualizing that as, like he realizes that what he had did done before was wrong. And the thing he's most afraid of, like as an older Kratos is passing what he believes is this sort of curse of godhood onto his son, which you really I, doesn't I like gods. A, yeah. 
which was I, I, I thought a pretty pretty good story uh, overall. Is it is it a little uh, cliche in 2017 2018 entertainment as a whole, like the sad dad phenomenon? Probably, uh, but it, it was a well told one. Matt, you played God of War, right? Uh, yep. Yes, I did. And what are your thoughts? Um, uh, so I, I liked, I liked everything. I liked the recontextualizing. I liked the, I liked the reboot. I liked the acting. And I, I think I literally just came to this conclusion, just like thinking back on it while you guys were talking about it is I'm just bad at it. Like <laughs> there's something, Matt, get good. there's something get weird good, about Matt. the combat, uh, and the way that it handles and like the way that the, the little like parrying reaction system handles that. And there's something like in me that's just like can't be it's not compatible with god of war and how it plays now and i've and i was like i'm not and i don't know why i think i'm just bad at that game and it took me a year to admit it to myself you're the dark souls person on this staff yeah but it doesn't play like dark souls so it's it's i know that that was the worst subplot of the year was everybody going but it's it's like dark souls and i'm like it's absolutely nothing We're like no. dark souls yeah, like no a, there's like no, there are multiple not. reviewers comparing it to Dark Souls. No, not even. No. They're like, it's yeah. Dark Souls, but it's actually like, uh, it tells you what you need to do and it gives you some direction. Uh, I'm like, but it doesn't play anything like it. It's like, it's heavy. It's closer, it's closer to like uh, Devil May Cry or something like that. Like Japanese action games, probably. It would be closer, and even yeah, then, it's kind of off. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fast I thought it was like a third-person shooter. It's yeah, it's like a third-person shooter. The combat's heavy, but not heavy enough for me. And like the pairing system is like fast, but not fast enough. It has like this weird sweet spot that I get that people are like really into, but I just can't find it. Once I beat my first Valkyrie, I was in on the the combat system because I was like, it really made me use every aspect of it, and I I couldn't just. Uh, power my way through it was almost like an 8-bit kind of platformer action game where i had to like read her patterns uh i had to parry at just the right times um and it ended up being really intense and when i was done with it i was like yeah okay that was super satisfying so that that to me like really won me over even though like like Katie and I were complaining about this on slack the color-coded enemies (laughs) in the elevator battles not good man i that so my thing is like i i I like god of war it's on my like on my top 20 list my personal top 20 it's on like the bottom section it's not gonna be in my top 10 probably uh like i still liked it but yeah i definitely think it's like 10 hours too long like it's so long it's like 30 something hours and you go to hell twice right it's like it's like (laughs) a point where you're like why like just fucking get to the mountain like they keep hitting these roadblocks that just like it's right there feel so arbitrary and like it just keeps going and going and then there's like the boat battle which is horrible and then the elevator battle which is horrible and i feel like you get these like horrible combat encounters there's also just like horrible there's like also a traversal puzzle towards the end that i remember that was like real i was like why am i why am I doing this? Like it was like there's it, it, well, I compared uh, it to Galaxy Quest, where you had uh, the the mashers and the stampers that were put into the ship because it was meant to remake a 
an old 80s TV show spaceship. And people are going, why the heck is this stuff here? And it's the same with God of War. Very video gamey, very arbitrary traps. And I was just like, oh, God, I don't like these traversal puzzles. And also you solve the puzzles the same way over and over again with like like almost no exceptions. Like that's like the one thing is like, man, like recalling that axe is like probably my favorite like video oh game. it feels so good yeah that's like, really cool man, it's just like that thunk yeah it just feels good it's like a great, it's funny when it like and then sound. it gets re- and then midway through like it de-emphasizes the axe heavily yeah which is i mean i i like the other weapon but like definitely the axe was like i had gotten so that was like my I, in a way I, I liked it a little bit because it kind of like threw a wrench into like my play style i was like oh i have to like think about something else now but I did always prefer fighting with the axe as opposed to the other thing, as to not say You know, spoilers. plot reasons. Yeah, plot, <laughs> plot reasons. I, uh, I'm, I'm just going to stay quiet on this. God of War was also high on my list. Not uh, top three, not top four, but it, it's up on the top ten at least. Yeah, for me too. I, I think my case I'm, for... Go ahead, go Mike. Uh, sometimes I think you just gotta... I, you gotta let that, that, that list slide. I'm just like... <laughs> God of War, I don't need to fight for God of War. I know it'll be there. It's good. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Had a good time. My case for God of War is that ultimately I really like the characters. Um, I thought it made Kratos not unbearable again. Yeah. I, I thought that his personal journey and grap like I related to his grappling with what to tell people, like how much of themselves to share, um, regrets from their past. Um, I have friends with kids now, and I, God, God help me, I, re- I relate to the parenting aspect of it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I thought that often some of the set pieces were really good. Like when it was on, it was on, and uh, especially the fight. Like there's a fight where you're fighting uh, two of the brothers from Odin, um, and that was that was an excellent battle. I, I don't remember it super well, but each one has a different combat style, and so you have to be watching your back. And I thought they really did a good job of uh, making the kid feel useful. Like he could have been so annoying; he could have been like the most annoying character of the year. But they they cast him well, and then they from a mechanical standpoint, they made him useful. He was never hurting you or being annoying to you. He was always helping you. And ultimately, like, I think the thing that won me over the most was in the final scene, it had the courage not to have a freaking final boss battle. It was a quiet, a quiet epilogue where you got some, well, a lot of sequel hooks, (laughs) but, (laughs) but uh, some revelations and then credits and some music. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, I feel like a less confident game would have had whoa a huge giant boss bursting out of the the mountain and now you got to fight them and stuff a less Sorry? confident game called god of wars considering every god of war sort of ended on that yeah that that level or so many action games just feel like they have to have that even ocarina of time where you fight you fight ganon at the end of ocarina of time and you're like oh, okay i'm all done i'm running down this tower and oh here comes yep. giant pig ganon whoa and that was pretty cool i mean i mean even every like persona game has that where it's yeah. like you pretty much wrapped up the main story and then it's like now what? god's here and you gotta kill him too <laughs> it's like literally persona three through five have that that's a thing ding dong like, god's here it's like why it's like 10 extra out 10 to 20 hours of like extra stuff that's like you, you could have just ended this like a 
a little bit ago, and it would have been probably better. But you know, that's kind of like a JRPG thing in general. But like Persona is like yeah. always what I think of because it feel it's very evident because you're like, I solved the mystery, and then it's like, oh now I gotta save the world too. Okay, <laughs> like let's do it. Yeah, the demons are screwing around again. <laughs> so, so, as usual. There's a game that's kind of flying under the radar on this list, and it feel like it's flown under the radar all fall, and it has some passionate advocates on this team, and I think that's Hitman Two. And uh, Katie's been like, I, Katie has been having to say, I, I'm, I, I have problems with this game, I have problems with that game, but you really like just wholeheartedly love Hitman Two, right, Katie? Yeah, it's it's just like a fun game it doesn't do anything like super groundbreaking or anything it's definitely one of those examples it's just like it's just a game that just is fun you know it's just like pure fun like well designed yeah great stealth stuff great stealth great like i think it's just like the sandboxes are really good like the big problem with hitman season one was that not all the levels were super worth going back to like they they're like some of the levels were kind of stinkers and the great thing about hitman 2 is like even though there's only five levels compared to six levels of the first game uh it's like every level feels like very vast and deep and there's like all these opportunities and there's like the scripted stuff you can follow or there's like just like you could just throw like a duck rubber duck that explodes at the target or whatever <laughs> like there's, there's just, like a lot the, of uh, like oh uh, just I, I showed you that gif of the uh this briefcase remember yeah it kind of goes so, around the corner and, <laughs> yeah, and so kills like, a dude i think that's like always been a thing where like obviously stuff will like target or like if you target yes. someone's head and throw something, it, like, follows them. But, like, yes. now that briefcases are in the game, it just looks really stupid that, like, a briefcase th- flies <laughs> into the amazing. air and just, like, will turn around a corner. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's basically, so, it, it, thrown objects always, like, track a target. The problem is, is the briefcase, when you throw it, moves slow enough that if the target is far away the briefcase will just sort of, like, lazily follow them. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and it looks really stupid and funny. But, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's Hitman 2 is just, like, a really fun game, and they've promised to support it, like, for as long as they can, like, IO Inter- Interactive. So I'm excited to see more elusive targets. The first one is Sean Bean, and that was excellent. Like, it was really good, like, super meta and, like, really funny. And I feel uh... like the writing's really strong this time around, too, in Hitman 2. Like, it feels more, like, confident and, like, Agent 47 talks a lot, which is strange, but it, it works. Like, he's very... He makes, like, a lot of, like, dad-type jokes where he's just, like, not very subtle with, like, his puns and stuff. Like, he'll be, like, serving food and be like, oh, this is to die for. Like, you should try it. And it's like... <laughs> you're not, like, very secretive about being an assassin. I think that's the joke, right? Is that yeah. he is really unsubtle. Yeah, he's, like... on it. Yeah. It's... He can blend into any disguise and no one questions him. It's just, like... It knows it's a video game. It's not, like, trying to be this, like, immersive, like, real ass, realistic, like, sim-type thing. It's just, like, here's, like, a playground that you can, like, fuck around in and kill people and, like, yeah. like make funny, like, things happen and stuff. And, like, honestly, like, the Hitman 2 package has, like, a lot in it. Especially if you, if you haven't played the first season, you can buy the, like, Legacy Pack or something. Which comes with all of Season 1's levels, but they've been added with, like shrubbery and like the crowd blending feature and like all the stuff that's in hitman 2 and new to hitman 2 so it's like if you haven't played hitman at all before it's like maybe 80 dollars that's not on sale like of a package for like so much content like so much stuff you can play and have like a lot of fun with and i don't know like hitman 2 is like 
it's kind of a weird i'm surprised it's not bigger because it's such a like easygoing fun simple game like there's not like anything complicated or like self-serious yeah. about it it's not like an alienating story game it's just like really silly and fun and i'm like surprised it's not bigger but i mean whatever i guess it's, it's still really good yeah, I've I've been. Uh, this is at the top of my list. I think it might be number one uh, for me. Um, really, game of the year. Wow, that's actually surprising. Yeah, it's 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 in my top five for sure. I haven't like decided on a place for it for me. Um, and, and I think I ended up putting it there when I realized that I loved it. Uh, so I was also doing the Sean Bean, and Sean Bean is an elusive target, which means you get one shot. Uh, and if you fail that shot, the elusive target is gone forever. And I killed Sean Bean, and then on the way out, I I screwed up. So I got so salty that I didn't touch Hitman 2 again. And, and I was Aww. like, no, forget this game. <laughs> and then like a week later, I was like, I can't hate you, Hitman 2. I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> for saying such bad things about you. So, like, Sean Bean still taunts me because, like, it's on the menu and it's, like, failed. I'm like, ugh, <laughs> ugh, <laughs> why? that exploding pen, dude. You get, like, an exploding pen for f- finishing it. Look, which, Katie, I... When you throw I, I, it, it mm, explodes. It's great. Mm, it's Katie, honestly an mm, amazing weapon. Mm, <laughs> taunting? Jeez. I know. It hurts. It hurts so bad because I, I finished, like, half of the elusive targets. Like, the ones I tried, I finished. So the fact that I started this iteration of Hitman 2 off failing the first elusive target and that elusive target being Sean Bean hurts me deeply. I like the idea of an exploding pen, though. It's like, okay, Caddy's like, oh, you throw it at a person. It's like, I was thinking, okay, you hand it to them and then yeah. it goes off. Like, why would you have you a pen like to throw, throw it at it someone? It's like a lethal thing. It's like, I don't know, like screwdrivers are lethal if you throw them at people because you just like jab nice. them in the head and they're just like... <laughs> But yeah, I don't know, like Hitman Katie 2 is, speaks like, from a par- from personal uh, experience. <laughs> personal experience. Uh, I don't know. Hitman Two is like a sword game where it's like there's not much to like gripe about. Like it's like not much complaints. Like the there definitely seems to be like a lower budget. Like the cutscenes aren't fully animated like they were in the first game. But the story's like kind of wacky and like a it's like serious, but like you can tell it's like I don't know. It's it doesn't bother it me, feels like a mission impossible story you know yeah like, it's like it's like kind of like corny and like yeah. you know it's it's but like, like you, you no buy one's, into it no one's going into hitman looking for like a deep like existential crisis kind of story for yeah i am oh. i want to know the deep innermost thoughts about agent 47 i mean you'll get it in hitman too they lean into that it's like it's like part about his like origins and stuff which is like interesting its own right a little bit uh but uh, but he doesn't like even really the... talk about it. It's really weird. Like people talk around him people, about like, his origins, about it. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, uh, whatever. Like I really like Hitman's had two failed movies. I would really like because they tried to be serious. I'd like them to do a movie that is basically a black comedy about this guy who doesn't care about his past and who can blend in with anything despite being like. A six foot two tall, bald white dude with a with a, with a very tattoo, noticeable yeah. barcode tattoo. Yeah, like that's not so even. Uh, you know what the most ambitious crossover would be? It would be uh, I'd love to see like a Hitman meets John Wick kind of deal. Because uh, I think Hitman Agent Forty Seven has like the right amount of like weird wackiness that'll fit into John Wick. So, who would win, Liam Neeson, John Wick, or Agent Forty Seven? 
Uh, I think Agent 47, because he can blend in with anything, like anything at all. He's more sneaky, you know? Like, John Wick's, like, would probably win against Liam Neeson, but, like, and, like, John Wick's just more badass in general, but, like, Agent 47 can, like, blend in as one of John Wick's, like, comrades or something. Like That's what I'm saying. And no one suspect it. No. Like, I like John, John Wick's Wick odds, just because once you, if you take out one of John Wick's like pets or something, that's it. You're but going like, down. It's over now, right? Like he has right, no and they dog. haven't killed the dog. So yeah. like, like John Wick would go into the hotel, and that black dude would be there, and John Wick would check in, and then you turn around, and the black dude would be 47 <laughs> and <he> somehow. Would <laughs> <it>. <laughs> he would be like, it's the same man. <laughs> So we'll get to the biggest one of the year, Red Dead Redemption 2, the game that we named our game of the year in a moment. But before we do that, I, I, I want to kind of open the, up the floor really quickly to let everybody shout out a game that maybe we haven't discussed yet, but they feel like they should get a little more attention. Uh, and I'd Nadia, like to call out... Oh, we'll go ahead, Mike. I'd like to call out Matt. Matt, what's Dude, at the top of your list? What's at yeah, the top, Matt. What's at the top of my list? Uh... Would you believe that we haven't talked about it at all, even a little bit? I What's would, that? because we were going over the biggest games, and you disliked most of them. Matt <laughs> just game. hates video games. I, I, don't, uh, I don't play video games. There's a difference. No, uh, <laughs> it's a it's Tetris Effect. That's my game of the year, uh, like solidly. Like every like I'm tinkering with my list, like everyone else, but like number one is pretty pretty set in stone for me right now. Um, yeah, tet- turns out uh, Tetris's gameplay was perfected in 1982 when it was invented. Most perfect game ever made. Yeah, I mean, might be. Yeah. There's beauty and simplicity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, turns it's out like you can't... it's like chess. Yeah. Uh, like you can't you can't iterate on it because it's already it's already close to perfect. Like gameplay wise, you can. Play I mean, we have much. iterated on it over the years. Like, oh yeah saving the pieces mm-hmm. and um i mean even tetris effect includes the the, the zone mechanic right. where you would be able to get multiple tetrises in a row but yeah Quick drops which is was a which was a big one um but yeah and turns out all you need to do is uh set tetris and like vr actually really helps i'm not i'm not a vr advocate but that game was designed for vr and i think like if it had if it didn't have a vr mode it wouldn't be my number one um Tetris Effect uh, VR has two two uses: uh, cockpit games and music games. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's my opinion. And I'm standing fishing. by it. <laughs> Final Fantasy fishing. Yeah, um, yeah. So it turns out you can really you can immerse yourself and identify with Tetris as a mechanic in through VR through the power of VR. Is that the case for VR that it just makes Tetris amazing? Uh, or more no, so it just it makes music is. amazing because you're in a sensory de- de- deprivation chamber. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, like when I think of my favorite VR <laughs> games, it's like Tetris Effect, Res Infinite, Super Hypercube, and I guess that's it. Aren't those like, all enhanced like, games? I think they are actually. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no. Uh, Super Hypercube is Polytron, like oh, the that's right. Fez people. Uh, but they're all like similar, right? They're like these like arcadey like mm-hmm. po- like puzzle games with like thumping music usually oh and thumper thumper that's another one thumper is amazing in vr thumper's good one yeah um that's like a game that's like you have to get in the zone and like Mm -hmm. vr is like perfect for that because you're like oh god it's like very intense sounding tetris effect borderline sells me on a vr headset oh it's like it is that good Uh, like playing it in vr is like transcendently good i mean Mm -hmm. 
we really liked playing we really liked kind of dimming the lights and just kind of you know bobbing along to the music while like somebody played in our house but when you put on the vr headset and it's just the music is surrounding you and you're looking at the and you're nice and close up and personal with the actual tetris board ah man it's so good um but yeah so that's my that's my game of the year pick, and I just want to say I don't like it's not like I I dislike any of the other major games like um, oh, Red Dead Redemption oh. Two and Spider Man are in my top ten list. Uh, God of War is close, um, and I think those are all very good games, but they're not they're all very good games and very well designed games, but they're not the true Messiah game. Which... <laughs> yeah, so I I just like to say I just like to rid people. And and I know that Matt likes games because we talk about games all That's the true. time. Uh, and actually, a real surprise one, and it's not my game of the year, but a real surprise, like my number 10 entry, which I'm also pretty confident about, is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is probably... Next, uh, the, Matt's double dipping here. Okay. Yeah. It's probably like, sorry, it's probably like the first Assassin's Creed game that I f- almost finished because they're like 100 hours long, uh, almost finished in years. And so that one was really surprising to me. Like, I'm in the background, like, if you've seen those Tony Robbins uh, concert things, where I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, Assassin's Creed Odyssey got a lot of play, and then Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, and it just fell completely off the radar. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. I, I think it did, but I also, it, it, and I've said this before uh, when we've been talking, that Red Dead Redemption took a lot of the thunder from odyssey but it also actually made odyssey look better because if you weren't down for red dead's very slow soak it in like live in the world style of play assassin's creed was like the opposite it was like this is an rpg it's very gamey we're not trying to get in your way we're putting rpg in air quotes by the way folks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean it is an rpg i know i know that it's pitched as an rpg it has conversation trees after a fashion but ultimately it's not really making letting you make interesting decisions is it it's split. Yeah. it's streamlined yeah, it's no. really streamlined no, no it, it's it is it's, mass it's, effect it's it's deeper than assassin's creed origins that's for sure no, but no, it's, it's, it's it a, is if, if it is mass really effect is an rpg it is a rpg that's it's popular mass. garbage mike <laughs> <laughs> it's not right. there are some really harsh. good stories in there i'm not calling it i'm not actually calling it popular garbage <laughs> but it seems yeah. like ubisoft definitely wants to capture that witcher vibe with assassin's creed yes but i don't feel like they're willing to go as deep as the witcher i think i think with origins having seen origins and having seen odyssey i think whatever the next assassin's creed game will get even closer and i think eventually maybe not next one but like well they just hired mike laidlaw i mean yeah that's like a pretty big uh, so maybe the next one yeah so maybe the next assassin's creed will uh hit that like depth of uh of a witcher or a mass effect so yeah laidlaw is is the one laidlaw got hired by quebec that just did odyssey so they're skipping next year montreal will likely get the next game after that so that's 2020. So Laidlaw's game will be like 2021. So Next we'll gen, be baby. waiting for a while. Um, but I'm looking but, forward to it. Yeah. Well, I think Mike, Mike, I think Matt just stole your game. 
<laughs> it's my uh, favorite series now. Uh, I've always oh. been Assassin's Creed guy. It's my thing. I don't know if you guys know. Uh, uh, it's okay, because even if he stole uh, one of the games on my top five, he did not steal Forza Horizon 4. Which oh, is wow, nice. really? I didn't know that you played Forza Horizon 4 this year. I did. I did play Forza Horizon 4. I enjoy Forza Horizon It's 4. a really good game. Yeah, I, I play against you. You, I, your, your oh, right. ghost is on my list. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I see yeah. both your ghosts all the time. <laughs> you're not the most annoying Creepy. ghost. Like, there's one person who is not on my friends list, and their ghost is a dick. Uh, <laughs> it's Jazz's ghost for me. Still, Jazz's ghost. Ah, Jazz. I mean, I love Jazz, but he plays like those games for hundreds upon hundreds of hours, and his ghosts are always crazy good. Yeah, jazz I'm sort of used to. Jazz is fine, and there are some other people who are also journalists who... who Arthur Gies. Yeah, but there's one person who is not on my friends list. I don't know who they are. <laughs> their ghost is just like, every time I see their ghost, I'm just like, I hate you! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Forza Horizon Road 4 Rage. is my number two game of the year. I've, really? I've loved every Forza Horizon game, and I... Part of that is just pure execution. Like Playground knows exactly what they have, and they execute well on it every other they year. They do, yeah. Um, but the second is we don't really have much in the way of arcade racers. I agree. Like, and I yeah. was always we had Onrush this year. Yeah, and Onrush uh, was uh, is an arcade racer, but it's more of a sort of combat arena style game. Like when you play, it's not actually a racing game. You're not trying to get first place or anything like that. You're more trying to destroy everybody else on the track. There's just a lack of arcade racers, and that's always been, for me, a big love. Like I was a big Burnout fan. Um, I, I enjoy the Ridge Racer games. Like I've always loved arcade racers, and as we jumped from the PS3 to the PS4 era, that sort of died. Like we had a bunch of them. We had Blur. We had Split Second, and all of those games sort of died, and the studios behind them died. Yeah. And so Forza Horizon is like my only like hook into that. So I'm glad it's a good one. Nadia. Um, I'm actually going to say uh, Diablo 3 for the Switch. <laughs> I, I mean, it's uh, a port. But I mean, I, I did port. just call I did call it an essential for the for the Switch. And here's the thing with me too is that I didn't play Diablo 3 when it first came out. Hmm. Um, I think as I have discussed on Axe of the Blood God uh, a couple of times, I was reviewing mobile games at the time and I played a lot of the clones like uh, Dungeon Hunter is one of the clone series. So I always kind of liked that that loop uh, of finding the loot and, and shooting down things and going back and getting better loot. But, um, no, Diablo 3 on the Switch is, a, first of all, it's a perfect format. I just love, like, kind of curling up on the couch and, you know, my husband's watching TV and I'm playing Diablo and he's, you know, listening to Gordon Ramsay screaming at someone on the TV and I'm just, like, nodding along. Uh-huh, that's nice. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just a very fun sort of satisfying game it's very easy to play and very easy to get into and um i really enjoy my time with it i'm still playing it actually i'm kind of working through the dlc now yeah i i played a lot of diablo 3 like it's a game that i just periodically pick up on my switch and because i just started in adventure mode 
you can just like knock out quests a lot or really fast and i'm just trying to get my character to the level cap so that i can start doing the really hard uh randomized dungeons and that kind of thing it's it's a little blurrier on the switch but they made a really good call in focusing on frame rate i think and yeah yeah and the uh, fact that you don't always have to be online really helps too <laughs> yeah that's also pretty good because i've uh I've lost, uh, like, power in my apartment a couple times. I've been kind of redoing some wiring. So it's like, oh, I guess I'll just play some Switch. And that's not even something you can do with a lot of mobile games these days. Mm. Like, you need to be online. So yeah, just, it's uh, one of the reasons that uh, I haven't, like, I was like, I'm not going to play Warframe on Switch, is that you have to be online to really enjoy it. Yeah, there's no point. The whole point of the Switch is to do whatever and go wherever. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, that's, uh, uh, just saying, uh, yeah, that's my... Uh, that's my selection, although extra shout out to Pokemon Let's Go and Valkyrie Chronicles 4. And which I'm sure that we'll be talking on the RPG podcast, so. We will. <laughs> I suppose I'm contractually obligated to mention Smash Brothers Ultimate, which as of the recording of this podcast is out today. And I will say that it is more Smash Brothers. Yay. <laughs> uh, though they do refine the gameplay quite a bit. It's pretty it has an outrageously huge soundtrack selection. I really love a lot of the character additions, especially Inkling. Inkling is excellent. Inkling looks adorable. I'm not all in on spirit mode, but I think the World of Light is all ultimately pretty good. They finally got made the online at least playable. I was playing it all. I was playing it all last night and really enjoying it. And. Oh, really? Yeah, and like it's just like Smash Brothers for the Wii U. It's going to be a staple in my household for quite a long time because it's Smash Brothers. I mean, but I, I will say this: like I don't know where the heck they go from here because with Smash Brothers, I mean, they're going to have they have the entire roster of every character who's ever appeared. Plus, they they just announced Joker. <laughs> which, yes, they just announced Joker. <laughs> So if they don't do that for the next Smash Brothers, people are going to be disappointed. And they have so many stages in this one, too. Oh, my God. There's almost, there's so much content. It's probably just like, you. obviously this like isn't just like a re-release of Smash for the Wii U, but it's definitely like, okay, Wii U was the was the base, now let's add on to it. So just, either Sakurai is going to give up and, run, and move to a, a desert island somewhere and say, <laughs> you know, I quit this dog shit company, I'm out, because he's just he's burnt out. <laughs> or he's just going to... Or they're just going to keep on adding to to Smash, and um, I'm fine with that. Like, it's just become so huge. You're right. There's no way they can just wipe the slate clean and say, okay, we're starting over. There's a world where the Switch ends up kind of existing as a decade, but they just kind of keep upgrading the console by degrees, almost like a phone. And <laughs> Smash Brothers works on all of them, and we're still playing this game 15 years from now. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy the meme of uh, the Sakurai, like, don't ask me for anything ever again. <laughs> anything ever again. Don't ask me for shit. But what about Gino? Uh, well, we haven't announced everyone yet, but I, I needed to actually drag out that meme for uh, Joker, because that's a crazy reveal. Well, I, I just wanted to give a shout out to Return of the Oberdin, which is my favorite game of the year, and it's pretty low on our list because I think only me and Matt played it. Matt, yeah, you whatever. finished it, right? Or did you uh, finish it? I'm almost, I think I'm almost done. I feel close. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. But I like it a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing game. It's like the only game this year, like last year I feel like there was a few games that were like, damn, this is like blowing my mind right now. And I feel like mm. Oberdin's like really the only game to give me this like, wow, this is like amazing. Like I've never played anything like this before. What is it for people who aren't familiar with yeah. it? I was going to get to it. Uh, <laughs> Katie, it's good. hurry up, hurry up. Okay, okay. 
uh, so it's an adventurous game uh, from Lucas Pope, who made Papers, Please, uh, the, which is a small indie game where you're basically a border agent. But in uh, Return of the Oberden, you're an insurance adjuster in like the late 1800s, and a mysterious ghost ship has like washed ashore uh, the East India Trading Company, and you're as the insurance adjuster, you go aboard this ship, and then you have like a compass that like lets you rewind time when you see a, a corpse and you have a journal which has like the full list of everyone that was on board of the ship and also like photos like you're like okay but you don't know everyone's identity yet so your your goal is to find out who everyone was on the ship how they died and by what or by who so it's like you're there's kind of like four levels of the ship so you start out on the deck and you start out at the very end so you kind of like see how everything ends and it's like very easy to figure it out and when you guess an identity which you like scribble in the like digital book or whatever uh they lock in when you get three right so it's like everything is like works in three so if you get guess three identities and like their fates correctly then they lock in place and they like disappear from the list so it's like okay you're like closer to the end uh so it, it's kind of like complicated when i describe it like that but it's, it's kind of like, like papers very, please yeah it's it, but it's a oh, very yeah. simple game like you just like walk around the ship and it has this like really cool like macintosh-esque art style but it's in 3d so it's like rendered in 3d but it like looks like a 2d like one bit game and you can like change the color palette too which is cool uh but it has this like very striking visual style and it's like very gruesome sometimes like some of like the deaths that people like died from i guess uh are like pretty gory but you see like the you when you rewind time to go back to this moment it's not like you're like watching a cutscene or anything you just like see this like mo- instant moment like the moment they died so it's like this m- captured moment in time that you can like walk around and you're like okay so these people were there and as you like view more of this and so there's some dialogue but you never see them talking you only see like subtitles but you don't see like who's saying what so you're kind of like guessing like okay so this person looks like they could be the captain and this person's like always around this person so this person's like the first ship man or whatever (laughs) so there's like all this like weird deducing you do and like i kept like a real like i use my journal that i use for like my planning every week and whatnot uh to like take notes on the game and it like was chaotic like i look like an insane person because i was drawing all these arrows around and like getting really involved in it and Who's it's like Pepe the, Sylvia. It, what? Sorry. Who's Pepe Sylvia? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's like a lot of, uh, it's just like this very in-depth detective game. And it's, I've never played anything else like it. The most I could compare it to was like last year's Tacoma, which did a similar thing, but like to a way more boring extent, because you're just like watching cutscenes basically. And in this, I felt like I was like actually interacting. I was like, okay, I'm like, thinking logically because they're basically just like big logic logic puzzles it's like you're deducing who these people are you're like making assumptions based on like what clothes they're wearing and stuff and there's just like all this like crazy stuff coming together and the story that unravels gets like weirder and weirder like you go on board you think oh these shipmates went crazy and then you get to like another scene you're like oh no there's like more way more going on here than i expected and then there's like interpersonal drama and there's, like, political drama because it's, like, a very, like, diverse ship because, like, late 1800s. 
And it's just like a very interesting and strange game. And it's like, I've never played anything else quite like it. And I feel like in 2018, it was like the one game that I was like, this is like an amazing achievement that I don't think we'll see another game like it for quite some time. It's it's just like this very unique, very like well-executed experience. And I, I, I've always loved games where I like have to take notes and stuff. Like I took notes when I played Fez and like, I think when I play Nino Kuni, I like transcribe the language, and like when a game like encourages me to take notes and like Oberden really you like have to almost. It's like it makes it feel more real. It's like okay, I'm like actually solving this case. I'm not just looking up a guide or whatever. Do you think it would be uh, good on iOS? Um, maybe not because it's like. Mm. I don't know. Maybe on like iPad, but like it's. That's what I was thinking. I was like, it's kind of game. I seems like I would want to be playing on a plane like, on, you're on like my walking iPad. Around environments and stuff. So you're like, um, you're not like you're not like picking up stuff like in an immersive sim or something. But like, you're like walking around environments and you're like looking like there's like one like scene like death scene that you see that's really interesting because it's, you have to like track bullets because it's like multiple people shooting at once. So you're like, okay, which one shot the bullet? that killed this person and you're almost doing like ballistics like <laughs> like investigation it's like really interesting because it like constantly throw these throws these like new ideas at you and it's not all like super dour like some of the deaths are kind of funny and like accidents and it's like there's like humor in it too and all the voice acting for like for how minimal it is is like really good uh it's just like overall like a really excellent game the only downside is like the ending is kind of underwhelming but i feel like the whole experience is like so there's so many like amazing moments that like mechanically and like in terms of like oh wow like i didn't expect it to take this turn or whatever uh that i really recommend it i'm, I'm looking forward to it because uh i'm i'm a big fan of detective games like the idea of them and so many games don't do it right like you're not detecting or figuring out anything yeah it's no like, you're like, walking over to vision. the prompt or you're like, yes, yeah, you have like glowing vision. detective vision, and it's like, oh, this it was bat. What was the first game to do that? Was it Batman? I don't was it La Noir? Maybe it's La Noir. Oh, well, it's like I'm talking like the you literally like you paint. You usually like click in the analog sticks, and then usually everything like glows around you. Like yeah, it's Batman, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was Arkham and Detective Vision because yeah. they needed uh, the some way to like point Sorry. out. Uh, what yeah, items there's like a glowing thing or like a little thing like even Red Dead has it it's like it's such a like big like I feel like every big triple A game has it like it's just you have a detective vision for some reason even if you're not doing that much solving like it's just second nature at this point all right let's get to the game that has been kind of nibbling around the edges of this conversation the entire time it's the main event as it were and that is Red Dead Redemption 2 which I feel like pretty much everybody on the staff has a fairly strong opinion on it, either pro or con. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the staff who outright hates it, except maybe Huron. <laughs> Does he hate? Oh, that's right. He did. He really disliked that he game. He was mad at it. Yeah. He was like, very angry. I'm sure he's going it. to, he's going to have some things to say about it when we get to the next section, but Red Dead Redemption 2, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the controls and how they're acceptable in this day and age, and yet, and yet, here it is sitting at the top of our list. And uh, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm the biggest advocate for it on the staff. Maybe this side of Katie. Um, and the reason that I'm such a big advocate for it is, 
I have basically enjoyed every minute of the past like 90 hours that I've put into it. People have said that it's slow paced. I disagree. I think it's deliberately paced. It is often beautiful. Uh, a lot of the missions are outstanding. I, I like the the set pieces really well. I think its music is really, really well done. But most of all, I care about all of the characters and I, I, I really like the, the story arc. <clears throat> um, I look at each member of the gang and I, I'm terrible at names and faces. Like, I'm not great at them, which is not a great skill to have when you're a journalist. But when I look at the gang members, I'm like, oh, yeah, there, there's Abigail and Lenny and, uh, you know, Charles and uh, and I'm and Dutch and the and Hosea. And the fact that I know all of their names, like that speaks to how much I actually gave a damn about what happened to them. And it's it's one of those games where it there are good times and bad times and you know that you're headed toward tragedy but you can't really pump the brakes on that train and it honestly like some things aside like the weirdness of the fact that i feel like i'm kind of playing a pulp western game i felt like i was watching a netflix original series which is uh i think a pretty high praise to confer on a game i mean is it because i mean netflix series really drag in the middle <laughs> I don't know that Red Dead Redemption Two really drags in the middle, though. No, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I was like, that's like a weird comparison. Yeah, I, I think one. you guys liked. But every chapter, chapter is like a season, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's one yeah. chapter I I don't dislike. I just think it's like it's like what what are we doing? What happened here? But overall, like a lot of people complain about the controls. And I guess I'm just sort of used to it. Maybe this is a Stockholm thing. Like, I liked GTA V. And Rockstar has sort of carried forward these horrible controls. And at this point, I'm sort of used to it. So the controls didn't really bother me. Like, it's less it horrible controls, better. less horrible controls, and more kind of bad animation of like lining up to search for things. It can be pretty awkward in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I like really enjoyed it. It's not on my top three, but it's up there for me. I, I liked it a lot and I've reviewed it. I gave it, I, I wasn't as high as everyone else who gave it that perfect score, but I really liked it and I thought it was a very good game and indicative of a rock star that I would like to see move back towards GTA a little bit more uh emotional and subtle and nuanced than what they tend to do for it's a lot more mature than gta 5 like gta 5 is really crass and beats you over the head with its satire where red dead redemption 2 is soulful (laughs) i I think it's definitely the best written rockstar game that i've played yeah i I would agree i mean it's just like rockstar the the, what you did for the writing of this one do do that for gta Well, I think it helps that, I mean, Arthur Morgan has to be the best rock star protagonist that we've had since, I don't know, um, CJ from San Andreas. I mean, because, like, they kind of did that with um, the guy from GTA 4, but I I feel like a lot of people weren't really jiving with his particular arc. And then the characters in GTA 5 were just, they were deliberately written as really horrible people to the point where I just could not stand to be in their shoes for an extended amount of time so i I thought 
Arthur Morgan kind of split the difference really nicely. Yeah, I feel like what I I particularly really like about Red Dead Redemption 2 is that Arthur feels like he has like a particular character arc that he goes through throughout, throughout the chapters, but you still have like the opportunity to like mold his character. So like you can it goes down to like just interacting with people in your camp. You can antagonize them or you can say hello to them or whatever. And it's like if you're a dick, they're gonna be a dick right back to you. And if you're nice, they're gonna be nice to you. And it's like I feel like there's what I've and it goes like th- through to the end of like chapter six where like there are like three endings and there's like a player choice one which I wasn't down with and I wrote about it on the site. But then there's, like, two others that, like, depend on wherever your morale, your honor meter is. Which is, like, if you've been mean and been, like, robbing a bunch of innocent people and just been a scumbag, you're gonna get one ending. If you do something else, you get the other ending. And it's, like, a subtle difference, but it's, like, that sort of, like, choice-driven stuff that I would like to see more of in video games. Like, it doesn't feel like you're choosing between two things. It's, like, oh, it's, like, either if you're, if you're, like... A nice Arthur, you're gonna get this thing. If you're bat, or if you're mean Arthur, you're getting this other thing. And I like that like subtlety in uh, his de- in his character arc, where it still feels true to like the scripted stuff that doesn't have anything choice driven at all. But it's like still like you're still the person role playing as him and like whatever cowboy you want to be, I guess. I think that Dutch is one of the more interesting characters uh, in games this year. I-, I think that you have to have an opinion on him. And it's pretty obvious from the start that he's a charlatan. And as a player, you can see that with, I would say, clear eyes. Because, I mean, it's, I've, I've met people like him before who like talk a big game. And like his catchphrase is, I have a plan, Arthur. I have a plan. And every, time, you, every time he says that, you're like, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but you also know that you can feel the loyalty does not feel forced it, you don't feel like everybody is carrying what they would say on tv tropes is the idiot ball because they all talk about their personal loyalty to him because he saved them in one way and you can tell that he has kind of a magnetic uh, charisma to him he's given them a community he has given them given them a place uh the the drunk reverend uh is another example and they have loyalty to one another and the the little touches, like the way that uh, they will walk up and like put their hand on you and start talking to you, uh, the moments where like you'll go drinking with them or go hunting with them. Um, like one of my favorite missions is when you uh, go fishing with Hosea and um, and Dutch, and it's a quiet moment and you can feel like they are actually friends and like that stuff isn't easily easy to pull off in a video game, but I think Rockstar does. Yeah, like, I, what, so what I really love about, like, The Witcher 3, which is still probably, like, my game of the generation or whatever. Yeah, I I think so, too, yeah. It, everything in that world feels like it's, like, it would exist if you weren't there, and I feel that way with Red Dead Redemption 2's world, except the thing that really gripped me about Red Dead Redemption 2 is that everything in it feels, like, interactive like it feels like you're actually participating in it maybe more than Geralt does even though I still technically I think I think I enjoy playing The Witcher 3 more like I enjoy the role-playing aspects of that in general more than Red Dead because I feel like the shooting's not that great uh but in like even just like one-offs on the side of the road like if you 
help someone who's drunk and lost and can't find their way home and you'll like run into them later and then they like thank you for like actually steering them in the right direction rather than like misleading them or it's like sometimes like people from side missions will show up in your camp just to like say hi and stuff and there's like i think like the best missions like the 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 main story is like really good but like the best like missions in that game i feel like are like the size missions like there's one mission in like saint's knee it's like a side quest where you just like hang out with your with Arthur's ex for the day, and you can like go to a th- and you go to a theater at the end of it, and you can just sit and watch this theater show for like twenty minutes, like in real time. Like you're sitting, th- I just watched like a twenty minute show. Like I put the controller down, it was just like hooting and hollering every now and then, and like, which is weird because he was like there with his ex girlfriend, and then he'd be like <laughs> cheering on the girls dancing, and I'm like that's kind of weird, but and she would like quiet him down, like shush Arthur, and it was really funny. But like then- there's like yeah it like encourages you to just like just chill out and just take things at your own pace and it it feels really lived in in a way that just open world games don't and it feels like everything i'm doing is gonna like come back and either reward me or like negatively impact me in some way and i feel like that's really rare like we don't get that often in any open world game like that has that level of like choice and consequence that isn't like did you like make this big choice or did you not? And it's it's more like subtle. It's more like oh, you helped this one person, and if you you might run into them later. And it's I, I like the like small touches like that because it feels like there's all these working parts that you don't think about and you like forget about, and then you see them and you're like oh my god, I totally forgot I did that thing. Yeah, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two made me realize a lot of things about how I like approach video games, and one of them is that it's really important for me to feel like I have a tangible impact on the world. And if I don't have a connection to things, if I don't feel like I have any kind of investment, I become bored extremely quickly. And so many open world games are really mechanical in the way that they're like, gather 20 of this, talk to do 20 of that, go on some stupid courier mission that doesn't really matter. Um, and because they're so focused on making a really expansive and big world, like rarely are they that very deep. And so invariably I get pretty bored pretty fast. I mean, we were talking about the the comparisons between Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Monster Hunter World and AC Odyssey. While it goes much more toward being an RPG, it's still a fairly traditional open world experience, I want to say. And for a lot of people like Mike, <laughs> calling you out, Mike, um, that is like the kind of experience they like and it's clearly a very popular experience because games like Far Cry sell like zillions of units but for me I find it so shallow that I'm basically falling asleep and it turned out that Red Dead Redemption 2 was basically scratching that itch because it felt like every mission that I was taking on was interesting in some way yeah and I feel like it manages like I think like a lot of the main missions do you feel like they kind of follow the structure of like cutscene and then shoot out and then like cutscene and that's kind of like a bummer but like i and there's a lot of like you're riding on horses to a mission which i actually like but it that this again where like the bad controls come in where it's like sometimes like you're like holding x to like match the speed of the person next to you and you're just like holding x for like 10 minutes or whatever (laughs) and it's like come on like it's 2018 and we're still having the hold x to like go somewhere Match so there's X. like there's like little things like that that like hold back Red Dead for me for being like my number one because I feel like if it had like 
normal ass controls like every other game basically i would it would be my number one like no question but like it has like all these like mechanical annoyances like i'm not talking about like how arthur walks slow like i like the like deliberate speed and i like the like chiller pace and i like skinning an animal and how stupidly long that takes but it's like the fact like qu- like quick drawing like is so annoying and like dead eyes like not great and there's like there's just like so many weird and like there you can't customize your controls beyond really like you can like either toggle x to run or you can tap x to run but on your horse no matter what you're gonna be tapping x in line with like your horse's stamina or whatever and it's like there's like so many annoying things that because rockstar's like so like insular you know like they, they they make like one game every like like two games a decade it feels like so they don't really need to look to like other big games because their games sell well they're like people consider them like master class game designers and whatnot but it's like man they need to like play some other games besides their own games because like other games <laughs> have sol- solved these problems in the past like five years and yet red dead redemption 2 is still having you tap x to ride your horse and that's like, kind of a bummer. But I do yeah. really like just galloping places. Like, I honestly, like, I barely use fast travel. I always just went, like, off the beaten path and just happened in <sighs> Yeah, going shit. off the beaten path is the most satisfying thing in that game because yeah. you'll oh, constantly yeah. run into interesting things that are happening along the side of the road. And unlike the original Red Dead, like, it it's occasionally repeats, but rarely. Yeah, like, but I feel like the, the strangers on the side of the road are definitely some repeats. Uh, but then there's, like, some surprises, like... I got ambushed, like, I think once in the entire game, and it freaked me out. It was, like, a horrifying moment. Like, I Was it when the carriage shows up, and, like, suddenly there are horses all around you, and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, it, well, it was, like, I, I was, like, galloping on the road, and, I, like, I, like, just exited St. Denis, I think, and it was, like, oh, here he comes. And then it was just, like, all of a sudden, there's, like, so many people around me and a big explosion, and I was, like, what the hell? And I was, like... I had my Arabian horse and I just like got out of there luckily, but it was like a scary moment where I was like, oh my God, like they're like waiting for me or waiting for someone apparently. Uh, but then there's like stuff like I, like I was wandering outside of Strawberry and I found a clan meeting and they like were lighting a cross on fire and then I killed them all. Uh, yeah. Everyone <laughs> runs into that one. That's, that's a, that's dynamite. a pretty common one. Yeah. I feel she like that's pretty perfect. close to strawberry. So I could see why people happened upon that. And then there's like another one where it's like, there's like a house. Like, I think it's like, might be up North or something, but there's Is like it the one with the, has... the crazy people, the cannibals. No, they're not cannibals. Whoa. They're incest people. Ooh, <laughs> no, there's like a house that has like all this like witch paraphernalia. And then oh. there's like a, Oh yeah. Like a cauldron in the center. And if you want, you can drink from the cauldron because that's something a smart person would do. <laughs> and then you just like pass out and then you just like wake up like nothing happened. And it's like, you know, like there's no explanation. It's like really, there's like all these like weird details that aren't like really explained that I like. Like it does like environmental storytelling, right? Because it's not like, oh, this person left an audio log in a letter just before they died. And here you go. Like I, I feel like there's there's one side quest that does it really well where you're going to retrieve this old dude's belongings in a house and then you like slowly discover that he was like an ex-slaver but you don't discover it just through like let like i think he had like one letter in his house but it was like an it seemed like logical but like you've there's like one thing you find that's just like literally the ledger 
of all the slaves he sold he sold and it's like this really harrowing moment arthur's just like man this guy fucking sucks like yeah and and let's say like like odyssey uh, red dead the meat is not necessarily the main quest although red dead's is really good it's the stuff around it like if you just try to play the main quest you are missing out on a lot of that game and i like i like both for different reasons like i said one is definitely a thing where you soak it in the other is definitely the one that is all about play like just enjoy yourself have fun make some choices so uh like i don't I, I pretty much toss up between the two of them, but I, I, I think if you're just trying to jump in, and I, and I get the feeling this year that a lot of people are just trying to, like, let me just critical path this thing. Like, don't make me do other stuff that is not... And I was like, you're missing the point with Red Dead if you try to do it like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this yeah, is a game... I'm taking my time. What were we going to say, Nadia? Oh, just that's why I'm kind of taking my time with it. I don't want to, like, you know wind up powering through it just for the sake of like i gotta get see if this is one of my top 10 you know what i mean how far are you uh, i can't remember but uh, i'm not too far i think that yeah. i would want this is one of the few games where usually i play where i usually i do critical path games but this is one of the few games where like i'll just be like i'll finish a story mission then i'll be like huh well i'm just gonna go explore for a while and I'll just ride around, and then I mentioned the incest couple. I was just riding down the road, and I see this house with a light on, and I'm like, oh, I bet I can go rob that house. So I go wandering over, and there's this very fat guy wearing overalls sitting on the porch, and I'm like, ugh, okay. And he's like, come on in, have dinner with me and my wife. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, sure. And I go in, and there's something deeply off about how everything is with that couple and i'm like these must be like serial killers or something i don't know and they're like give me something to drink and then the screen gets all like woobly and i'm like okay something is definitely wrong here so i leave and then i'm like ah screw it they're weird i'm gonna rob them i come back burst into the door they like yell in surprise like suddenly we're all fighting i managed to tie them up I like I go upstairs and I find like their mom like they f- I find bones in their cupboard. I'm like ah serial killers confirmed. I managed to get a whole bunch of stuff and leave. And I looked up what exactly is going on with them and it turns out that if you finish the drink you will be you will wake up with none of your money in a pit with their mother that uh-huh. they killed. Uh-huh. And so you have to go back and you got to go get retrieve your money from them after like a fight and what what a lot of people end up doing is they tie um they tie them up and then drop them in the pit with the corpse of the mother and if you do they'll yell no not with her anybody but her which is like whoa okay that's that's fascinating um so like so many moments of like that really make red dead redemption 2 for me yeah it's it's like yeah, it's honestly like one of the best open worlds of this. I mean, it's easily one of the best open open world games of this generation. Uh, it's just a shame that the controls are so finicky and annoying. And I hope like eventually like they patch in like at least custom mapping or something. You know, like I'd love to be able to just like fix the stuff that I like having your gun always on R two is super annoying. Like yeah, in the beginning I was always accidentally shooting people like all the time. <laughs> 
it's like, <laughs> I, like so I I took a break. So I, so I started Red Dead like right at launch, and then I had to review Tetris Effect in Hitman Two, and then I went back to Red Dead after that, and it was like so weird going back to that. And I decided to like rob a general store, and I like messed it up. Like they recognized me, and I was like, oh, I guess I didn't do this right. I tried to leave in the like in a panic. And then I was, like, running to my horse, and I accidentally got on the carriage because my horse is, like, right next to a carriage that was going up the street. And I was like, oh, you're wanted now for, like, stealing this carriage, too. And I'm like, well, I guess I just stole this carriage, so I, like, rolled with it. Hung <laughs> for a sheep as a lamb. Yeah, and then on my way out, I, like, ran over a bunch of people on accident because they were just, like, in the way. And I was like, this is just, like... <laughs> well, they were in the way. It was a very... And I, and I shot someone because I, like, had pressed R2 because in my head I was like, oh, R2 to go on the carriage and then I just shot someone because it's, like, the auto-aim. <laughs> and I was like, this is just, like, horrible. It's like comedy so, of errors. Yeah, exactly. It was just, like, so many things went wrong and I had, like, a huge bounty but I paid it off. It was fine. But it was still, like, man, I wish this game controlled better. And I feel like the more you play on it, it does feel like Stockholm where you, like, you, you know what's how everything works and it's fine and you get used to it and it's not that bad like i still think that tapping x is like annoying for me because i like have borderline carpal tunnel so it like hurts my hands sometimes <laughs> but like you know it's not great and i hope they patch that in eventually but knowing rockstar they probably won't so you know whatever he is roll with it i guess you talk about stockholm syndrome i mean yeah, I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Red Dead Redemption 2 controls well, but there are points where I've still managed to feel kind of like, well, pretty awesome, actually, where, for example, I'll see the little red uh, marking indicating that bounty hunters are coming. And so I'll, I'll get off my horse really quickly and hide behind a tree and wait kind of breathlessly, and the music will pick up a little bit like really subtly and then you'll see somebody kind of appearing down the road and like I've got all of my guns at the ready and I'm just waiting for them to come up to me and just at the right moment I throw some dynamite and you hear them yelling and then there's explosions and horses are going nuts and I'm just able to like really quickly take them down either with dead eye or with a pump action shotgun and the quick bursts of violence and action in this game um, and the chaos of uh, splinters flying around you um, explosions happening like it's in a moment to moment kind of situation of the actual action I would say it's really good actually and there's a there is a very pleasing heft to the way that the, the guns work and how things feel like when I shoot somebody i feel like i'm shooting a person and not a rag doll for example and it can be horrifying in its own way but i have a lot of memorable like a lot of memorable fights in red dead redemption 2 i also like the weapon degradation more than i expected to like i thought it hmm. was gonna be super annoying but i actually kind of like that maybe because i liked it in witcher so it's like Maybe Turning the gun that, over you know? and cleaning it and everything. Yeah, yeah. It felt like a nice, like, oh, it's like caring for my weapons. You know, it's like, right, oh, my revival see. is not that good. Or my re revolver. And I'd like look at him like, oh, wow, I have not cleaned this bad boy in a while. And I'd, like, yeah, see, weapon degradation is fine if you can repair <laughs> Breath of the yeah. Wild. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Like, I mean, Witcher's the same way. It's like, your weapons can break, but you can always repair them and make them better again. Like, you never, like, really lose anything. 
Uh, but in like Breath of the Wild, it's like after a few hits, it's gone forever, and that's kind of like a bummer. But all in the, Red all, Dead, there's like not that many guns to begin with. It's like all the vetching about controls in Red Dead Redemption Two this year is like everybody complaining that the weapon degradation in Breath of the Wild was a deal breaker. But here we are a year later, and like you look back on Breath of the Wild and be like, "Damn, that's a really good game." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like yeah, sometimes like, way better like, in like Red Dead, it's like I mean, you just clean mm. your gun, and it's like and it kind of adds like another like strategic element of like making sure your gun's in tip-top shape before, like, heading into a story mission or whatever. You have to, like, think about the type of stuff. All right, we've been going for almost two hours now, and we still got to get the UK team in here. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> oh, to wrap this one up. But thank you for your thoughts. And, of course, um, and of course, make sure to check out everybody's staff picks over on the site, which will be running, uh, I think, next week as of the release of this podcast and then we can all kind of talk a a little bit about what our favorite games were but okay when i come back i'm going to be extremely jet lagged and i'm going to be in brighton talking to the uk team so don't go away All right, as promised, I am back, properly jet-lagged here in Brighton, and I am joined by our UK team who keep the lights on over on USG. And joining me first is, to my right, Jake Green. Hey. Uh, here in Cryer. Hello. And Tom Ori. Hello. Yes, this is their first time on the podcast. It's very exciting. And I'm in the same room with them as opposed to doing this over, uh, over podcast. So, F it, we're doing it live. When guys, the last when we last left off with the editorial team, we were talking about Red Dead Redemption Two and how like it's my personal game of the year. Um, Katie really enjoyed it, but I know that it's been controversial in some quarters. And Hiran, you've been like the biggest naysayer for RDR Two on the team, so I'm just wondering if like why don't you like it and why are you wrong? <laughs> why are you persecuting me like this? Well, I'm um, going to persecute your totally wrong opinions here. Okay, like all throughout Red Dead 2 when I was playing it, I kept looking for a reason it existed outside of money. Okay. Um, and I couldn't really find one. Um, I could ne- I, I don't know like why that game exists and what story it has to tell. Um, you finished it, right? Yeah, I did finish it. But like, spo- spoiler alert, it ties directly directly into beginning of the original Red Dead Redemption but like I feel as though we already kind of know the story of the Dutch Vandalin gang from the original Red Dead so outside of that I like I, I, I don't know I don't know why Red Dead 2 is a thing so what you're saying is so a while ago I wrote an article along the lines of can RDR2 avoid a case of prequelitis and I was basically yeah. saying the problem with the prequel is that often they're based around, like, what, filling in the gaps with the lore yeah. and that kind of thing. And you're saying that it's, essentially it has fallen case, uh, fallen prey to that. Yeah, because, they're, like, there aren't really any gaps in the lore. Like, the original Red Dead Redemption existed to, like, tell the story of the dying Wild West. Um, like, I always remember, um, on, the backs of, on, on the back of the box that it said, like... Um, the era of the outlaw is dying. You yep, always the... remember that. Always remember that. Always, do yeah. you? Yeah. All right, mm. brilliant. Good to know. Thank you, Tom. Um, <laughs> and 
So we can call each other out on this podcast, can't mm-hmm. we? Great. Um, oh, are we going to get uh, some bants? Is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah, bants. Will there be top bants? Ba- it'll, it'll be live banter, um, which we don't usually have on Acts of the Blood God. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, so that existed to kind of tell the story of, like, the downfall of the cowboy. And, um, like, when you remember back to how that game opened... Um, with Marston sat on the train and everyone's kind of talking about how they're moving away from all of like, um, like kind of needing the cowboy anymore. Um, with this game, I don't, I don't think this, I don't think Red Dead 2 has like a strong narrative grip like that. I don't think it has, um, like, I don't think there's a, a force driving the narrative. Whereas in, like I kind of wrote about this a little bit. Like it, with the original Red Dead, you had the story and the setup of um, like these people have taken away your family, and you want to see your family again, right? But in this one, it's just kind of like, yeah, we want money and we want more of it. So let's go get that. I actually disagree with you. Oh, and here's why: <clears throat> the strong narrative force is the fact that these are people who are effectively stuck in a cult, and yeah. they are slowly but surely realizing that the person that they have idolized, Dutch, is, like, kind of gone off the rails. And their entire arc throughout the game is coming to grips with the realization that, no, in fact, the ideal... the, The person that they trusted with their lives was a false prophet. Like, mm-hmm. he is a, he was kind of a charlatan all along. And that's a tough thing to come to grips with. Like, yeah. And I think that particularly in this current political climate, it is good <laughs> to tell a story about a false messiah who is ultimately kind of full of crap. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's, it's more like Dutch's game than it is anyone else's game. Like, yes. Even, even more so than, like, Marston. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, Marston yeah, is yeah. a secondary character he is, at best. For most of it, yeah. I Tertiary, that, even. Like, like yeah, he yeah. doesn't really matter. Like, no. He goes away for large portions of the game as well. It's just like... Like, Arthur is the vessel through which Dutch's story is yeah. told. Like, it's Arthur kind of like... Arthur saying, uh, Dutch was the one who got me off the streets. Like, I trust Dutch. And, like, through the entire game, he's trusting him until finally he has that faith shaken. Mm-hmm. And... I think that that is a thing that like makes for some compelling storytelling is seeing having somebody like face shaken and then finally shattered and like trying to pick up a pieces of a way, life realizing that you've completely wasted it. Yeah, no, um, like Dutch is definitely the highlight of that game. Um, it's I like, have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever like he says that, I'm just like, oh god, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think. You pointed. I think Jake pointed out like a couple of weeks ago or something that his voice like always is always cracking. Mm. Yeah, he's like um, exhausted. Yeah, all the time. He's especially just, toward the end. Act of like trying to just be the rallying point for everyone, and the voice actor does a really good job. Like his voice does crack constantly, and he kind of you kind of feel like the character might be putting it on to seem like weary to go away to his camp, that kind of thing. Like yeah. be left alone. Actually, yeah. like, it's an entirely other subject, but like I think he. I think the actor for Arthur got nominated for a Best Performer Award at the uh, Game Awards. It was Arthur, the uh, yeah, actor it, who right? played Arthur Morgan, and he won it too. Did he won it? Yeah, he, he, he yeah, did a he great job it. too. Oh, yeah, he did. I thought Dutch was better, to be honest. 
I think they were both really good. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Dutch really did a great job of conveying the kind of magnetic char- charisma. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to this year was the last podcast on the left. They did a multi-part series on Jim Jones, which I like strongly suggest you listen to. And while Dutch isn't exactly serving people Kool-Aid, there is a very similar kind of arc mm-hmm. of somebody who is extremely, um, extremely I- has a idealistic at the beginning. Like, what was Jim Jones doing? He was, like, breaking segregation in Indiana. Like, mm-hmm. he was bringing people together from all different walks of life. Um, people who are otherwise, like, mar- in a marginalized, marginalized position in mainstream society. And he led them to ruin. Yeah, um, I, do, I do think that um, figure of the Messiah is really interesting. And like you said, in this current political climate. <laughs> yeah, um, Whoever could I be talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, uh, like, there are so many... Um, I'm trying to think of another gamer's example, but it's sw- slipping my mind, where if... I, th- I, think it was, I think it was Far Cry 5, where if you asked them between, like, about parallels between, you know, that guy and the father... They'd just be like, oh, God, no, we designed this, like, you know, five years ago. We never could have seen this coming. And it's like, I get a similar kind of vibe with that, where it's just like, yeah, it's just it's just time. Oh, I I don't think they have any intention of, like, recalling Donald Trump or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I do think it's an interesting story. Speaking of Far Cry 5, you're, like, one of two fans on the USG staff, Tom. I quite <laughs> like it. Not as, like, a, I don't particularly care for it as a story. Like, if we're talking about, we just talked about Red Dead and the kind of similarity to cults and that kind of thing uh red dead handles that much better than far cry 5 does but i thought it was just a fun open world like game like you just had lots of strange stuff happening all the time i remember i was just wandering down the road and just an eagle flew straight into my face (laughs) and then the car smashed into like a cheetah or whatever and animals (laughs) running around it's just that kind of crazy like anything can happen feel but then it got boring sort of before I was near the end. Mm. But it kind of, for the, like, 15, 20 hours, it was a fun shooter. And compared to, like, previous Ubisoft open-world games, it didn't feel quite as bogged down with the must-do-all-these-tiny-little-things-to-progress and stuff. But, yeah, it's it's a, a fun game rather than, like, game of the year, really. But, yeah, I quite liked it. The thing that I remember the most about Far Cry 5... Well, I went to an event earlier this year, and they took us out into the wilderness, and they, it was like an old school press event, like they were doing things like drive an ATV and try out a crossbow, and I'm like, why? Okay. But they actually had a guy dressed up as the preacher come down in a helicopter and like do a sermon for the assembled press, and I'm just like... How much did this cost? Mm-hmm. I saw pictures of that. Like, the dude really... It was like the guy they motion captured, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, he it looked was just him, like right? him. Yeah, yeah like he had... Uh, it was remarkable, but also kind of one of the silly, silliest things I've seen all year. Yeah, it sounds like one of the last days of um, THQ Nordic. Like, you mm. always hear stories about how they... They're like, oh, they took a plane full of people to Vegas for like a weekend or whatever. The difference is that Ubisoft actually has money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> THQ back in the day had a lot of money <laughs> THQ yeah. and like Midway which I'm not sure you're even aware oh of oh my god Midway the amount of like ridiculous press trips and like just things that were hosted to try and get you to say better things about their games were, were quite incredible I think the craziest press trip I've ever heard of was actually a Ubisoft press trip they took the press to Rome for Assassin's oh, Creed um, 2 
Do you remember that? Amazing. Someone may have sent someone to that. (laughs) But it's like, it's one thing to take people from Europe there. They were flying people out from America, like all the press outlets. It's ridiculous. Like, really fully paid for Rome trip. Here you go. Did you go to that? Oh, heck no. I was a freelancer (laughs) at the time. I didn't get to go on that sweet, sweet press junket. Anyway, Tom, like, you are also a big fan of God of War. And we already talked uh, a bit about God of War earlier and, like, what it did well and, like, some of the things that we didn't think that it quite nailed. But it's, like, your favorite game of the year, right? Yeah, easily my favorite game of the year. It's, like, I don't know. I think Red Dead's probably my second favorite. But God of War just stands way above for me in terms of uh, just the way it all comes together. Like, I think I was concerned that it was going to be so different to the previous games, which I really like. Um, like the the camera system changing, um, the change in terms of mythology. Um, not, I wasn't really worried about the sun being there because I, I don't hate children like everyone else <laughs> yeah. in games media. <laughs> like all of us, yeah. So that was fine, but um, it just it just really works. Like the main concern was that the combat was going to feel different. Like well, as soon as you change the camera angle from kind of the fixed uh, position from the previous games to be sort of more traditional third-person action game, it does mean that certain things are gone. Like um, the dodge mechanic was completely changed. Um, and then you had the axe, which was a, like a projectile weapon, which was pretty new for the series, and it was a major focus of the combat. But it just, it just really works. Um, and then the story, which is a lot about like the relationship between uh, Kratos and his son, uh, just really, it pays off for me. And there's a, a good progression in terms of their relationship and just lots of really subtle moments that just really work. Like there's a bit where Kratos sort of go, like thinks about comforting him, but doesn't because he's like, he's not sure if that's the right thing to do. Um, and that kind of, Subtlety is the kind of thing you don't often get in video games, and especially kind of AAA blockbuster games. Especially God of War. Yeah, like it's uh, from for a game that was basic or series that was basically just angry man, very violently killing things. Uh, it's a massive departure, and I think it's hard to see how if I went back to the previous games that I would enjoy them anywhere near like I, I did previously because this has just changed things for the better. Um, it really does reflect how games have changed since 2005. Yeah. I remember when the original God of War came out. I thought, I thought it was amazing because that I had never seen anything like the set pieces it threw out. I thought that the humor was dark but often hilarious. Mm. And then ultimately, I really enjoyed the redemption arc for Kratos. I didn't like God of War two and three quite as much because I thought they were rehashing the same material, and it actually kind of annoyed me. But like. I thought it was great for that time period, and then it just became increasingly dated. And you see how different this God of War reboot is like from the very start, right? Because you have the first thing you see is Kratos burying his dead wife, yeah. and he is being baited by the stranger and trying to get him to fight. And Kratos, like in the past games, would have just ripped his head off or tried, and Kratos in this one's like, no, screw, go away. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his arc isn't being, like, angry man is being less angry. He's already less angry. It's, I've committed terrible crimes. I've done bad things. I am a bad person. How do I come to grips with this, and how do I admit this mm. to my kid? Do I admit this to my kid? Do they need to know? I don't know. Mm. And that's, like, an actual, like, thing that I think 
you can kind of identify with, right? Yeah, I mean, I've never done anything bad. but <laughs> You've um, never ripped off the head of a god. No, but they have the whole, like, like him being left, like, it's, like, to, to raise the sun, and clearly he hadn't been involved that much mm. prior to that point. Like, it was clear that he his relationship with the, with the boy was pretty much... Like, boy. Yeah, boy. it was, it was uh, <laughs> fairly limited until that point. Um, but, yeah, it's just... As a kind of soft reboot, it works really well as, like, if you haven't played the series before, it's a good point to come in. But also, if you have played all the other games, it doesn't completely get rid of that stuff. Like, that is there, and it works in favour of this game, that you know what happened before, and, like, what person he was before this game starts, and, like, where he's come from. And some of the, like, there's, like, one bit sort of, I guess, halfway, maybe a bit more, where there's a massive kind of payoff for fans of the previous game yeah um previous games that is really cool if i hadn't had it spoiled by here and um <laughs> yeah here and spoiled it for everybody oh, i no. didn't know uh, he yeah. just threw it out there <laughs> the nature of my job means i have to play the game at my desk for guides and someone just happened to be looking over on my screen and then he spoiled it for the entire team <laughs> on the call i don't think you knew it was that big of a spoiler I, no right? i didn't like, okay, you've not so, really played the old god of war games so. like yeah to give to give a bit of background don't spoil it, don't spoil he's it gonna spoil it on the podcast now <laughs> are we just gonna have to bleep out this entire section <laughs> i'd never played a god of war game before so i was uh, like oh cool i found these things what do they do oh okay oh oh <laughs> oh, oh right right oh, okay um yeah subtle that game is not with him digging up his past quite literally uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I, actually, I think I think I can attest to someone that hasn't played the God of War series before of it doing a really good job of just kind of calling back previous moments that have probably happened, mm-hmm. and just like giving you some some kind of subtle hints of his um, like at the very end where like his bandaging will sometimes slip on his arms, and you'll see the burn marks of all the chains there from like um yeah like his past and yeah so it, it like for someone coming into that game who's never played it before it's it's a really good starting point as a soft reboot it's definitely the comeback story of the year uh no yeah. doubt um and it's not easy revitalizing a dead franchise i mean i feel like we've seen multiple attempts just fall completely flat i mean darksiders 3 came back this year did anybody <laughs> yeah. care about no. that at all no. I don't. I don't mean to. I don't want to be mean. It's just kind of a fact. Like Darksiders mm. three came and went. And then, like in the middle, like Tomb Raider reboot, kind oh, of God, they yeah. did something different. It was cool, but I, it didn't really hit those. I, I really then. like the Tomb Raider reboot. I mean, I don't love the. New I think they. I think they're really good games, but like when you look at what God of War. Yeah, I think then. God of War. The difference is that like it's not just that it's got good combat or that it looks yeah. great, and it's also it's also got like tons of exploration, just so much content. And things to see. Like I played. It took me a long time to finish this game. Excuse me. How dare you? The first Tomb Raider reboot had a tons of, I'm tons not, of optional. Content I'm not saying it didn't. I'm saying this has everything. It's not just the combat and the graphics. Yeah. And it has like the exploration of God of War is like it's it's completely optional for the most part. And it, but it doesn't feel like it is when you're doing it. Like some of that mm-hmm. stuff that you discover, like when you see like a dragon for the first time. And that is something you kind of stumble across, really. And it's just there. And it's like, wow. And yeah. then there's loads more of those that you can go and find. And I spent ages just going around the lake, just seeing everything mm, I could possibly so find. So pretty. Yeah. Like, my favorite moments are, like, rowing across that lake. And my favorite character in that entire game is the head that he cuts off. <laughs> yeah, and he's so carrying good. around with him. 
What's his name? Head. That's all that matters. That's amazing. Boy and head. I feel like they managed to keep that out of almost all of the pre-release material that there was essentially a third yeah. character with you. Like, yeah. that just wasn't really there. And he's there for a really, really long time. I mean, he once he comes in, the kind of the emotional arc and the emotional circle is complete. Yeah. And you just have such wonderful banter between mm-hmm. Head, Kratos, and the kid, right? And I know he has a name, but I don't care. It's Head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... The writing in that game is really strong. Like, they, the humor actually lands. And that's not actually something I can say about a lot of games, mm-hmm. I think. And there's yeah, so I think much the two of it as well. There's so really much funny. dialogue. Like, when you're, yeah, the, whenever you go back and talk to them. Yeah, and there's always new Or stuff when you're in there. the boat and there's, like, a new story that mm-hmm. he's telling the son. And I think Red Dead's really good for that as well. Where there's yeah. just, yeah. there's, like, just stuff that you do. Like, they did a fishing thing. And they were talking to each other about stuff for, what, 15 minutes in Red Dead, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of stuff that other games, you just, I guess you'd be there with them repeating the same old stuff. But in like modern gaming, mm. you get all this like thousands and thousands of lines of dialogue. It's, it's really impressive. I think that with Red Dead, for better or worse, the crunch story is just going to hang over that game. Yeah. And like it actually seriously gave me pause when I was thinking about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 as game of the year. Because I'm like, what kind of message does that send where you're just like, well, I mean... There is like this the story of like some really potentially bad uh, uh, work practices and ethical practices, but I mean it's a really detailed and amazing and gorgeous game, and like it kind of makes you sit here and wonder about the state of the industry because you're like going, okay, RDR two is an amazingly detailed game. We're, like I'm sitting around at a poker game. And we're, like, listening to this, like, random conversation. I'm going to a play that's going for 20 minutes or so. And I can't believe the level of detail, but I also know how hard people had to work to get that in. There's a reason it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like I know that's what you have to do to get that level of detail. And it's just like what... What does that even mean for AAA? It's not a great feeling to have, I don't think. Yeah, but it's like with the, um, you know, the horse balls that could shrink in weather. It's like every time you think about that, it's like how many how many hours and weeks did that take like one person? And how often do you think about the horse balls? Quite Actually, often. The, quite often. Yeah. It's in my game of the year article. Yeah, it's in, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like people think about the horse balls very often. I have you know, um, but when you just think about that, you're like, was that really necessary? And then you're like, oh wait, but it's Rockstar, so they're like, screw you. Of course it's necessary. It's the Rockstar difference. Yeah, yeah. It was like that was marketing as well for sure. Of like, we put this in the game, people will will write about this. Mm-hmm. Like, and they did. Like, mm-hmm. I think we that's did. why I think that's why you put these things in these ridiculous like this is insane that this is in the game so you know I think it is like an added little bit of extra detail that people are going to talk about yeah because I don't think people would have noticed that if they hadn't said it no so, they wouldn't have. really I mean maybe <laughs> would you maybe. admit to noticing it no <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think the very first time I was playing Red Dead someone like was watching over my shoulder and asked me to zoom in on the horse's balls to check if they're shrunk um, and like you wouldn't do that if you hadn't heard about it before, right? No. So, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the other thing is, of course, they were going to have the horse poop because that's Rockstar humor. Yeah. 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 Like Rockstar, like Red Dead Redemption 2, like, had a lot of very, like, touching moments, but also a lot of very, 
uh, broad humor. Dr- drunk people falling. <laughs> like drunk, but yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like the entire mm-hmm. the drinking trip with Lenny, yeah, which is so honestly rockstar. one of my favorite moments of the entire game, but also so rock star. You could yeah. swap out like Nico and Roman, and it would be the same. Yeah, the exactly. same thing. Except that your cousin isn't trying to call you over like Telegram or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come hang out. Yeah. They've got horse poo, but they don't use it like Metal Gear Solid Five, do they? That's, no. It's not a mechanic. No. It's not a mechanic. No. A game that had a very dark and twisted sense of humor, maybe Super Smash Brothers, which I don't know if you saw that. That's where we're going. On my Twitter feed, yeah. (laughs) Speaking of Metal Gear Solid uh, Mm -hmm. 5, the character of Paz, yeah, I'm not going to go into a lot of details. Suffice it to say, she blows up in one of the most horrible ways possible, and and her spirit in Smash Brothers Ultimate is that she has a ba-bomb, and it's like, Wow. Wow, Smash Brothers! Wow, yeah. But they keep doing that. They do that in multiple ways. I like. I cannot believe yeah, some few. of their, some like some of their references. Um, Jake, you're like the other Smash Brothers fan, like in the office this year. So yeah. like, this is your chance to like talk about why it's like really, really good. It's weird. For, it's weird to hear that because in the law, in the lead up, I just was not really feeling it. Like, I'm not really a Smash player. I played Brawl quite a lot uh, when I was a kid, but. Like, I, I, I was working so hard on it, and I was like, I'm just not that interested in these tiny details, but as soon as it came out, like, I've put, like, 70 hours into it, and it is, like, okay, there's the kind of weird stuff with the spirits, but the detail is there. Like, all of these spirits battles hearken to these other kind of moments in video games, mm-hmm. in that, like, you'll be fighting a, a Gengar Pokemon, but really you're fighting a purple Donkey Kong to get <laughs> a Gengar. Like, each one has a little bit of thought in it, and I think that kind of shows... That's kind of the headline of the game is that there's just so much thought put into every single part of it. And I think it's not really a celebration of Nintendo anymore. It's like it's, celebration it's of all, all games. video games. Like yeah. there there's like Rayman spirits. There's you know, there's just obscure stuff in it and there's no cars. There's no cars yet. We did check. We want the Daytona car in it, mm-hmm. don't we? That's... I loved that they did Oendon out of just nowhere. I could mm-hmm. not believe that Oendon, of course, Os Tatakae Oendon, it's a rhythm game from that became Elite ba- Beat Agents. Mm-hmm. But this is actually Oendon, so people aren't going to know what the heck this is. It's their cheerleaders who are like at the highest difficulty level. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you fight three Isabels who are pink, oh, which is amazing. Yeah. And I thought for a second that it actually had music from Oendon, but it only sounds like it. It's actually music from Style Savvy. But There's a lot of that where they try to get as close as possible to what they're kind of emulating it feels a little bit like a mod it does yeah it really does which i mean i'm kind of like uh but at the same time like there can be really hilarious ways in which they actually make it happen Mm -hmm. or realize it so but i think like the spirits mode is obviously a huge part of it but we've had smash in the office for what like a week now yeah a week or two now every single lunchtime every single like people aren't going home on time because we're playing smash (laughs) like it is like completely taken over to the point where like everyone has like bought new controllers we're all trying to get better at it we're all secretly practicing at last my yeah. day has come yeah, exactly it's i've like... been i feel like i've been the lone voice in the wilderness uh-huh i showed you all exactly <laughs> and it's 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 difficult to give it a game of the year because it there are a lot of things wrong with i mean it. it's like just the online, it, yeah and it's just smash and it, it's kind of like an iteration and world of and light is kind of like eh, I'm, I'm not being fine, on the spirits yeah. that's why i ultimately gave it a 4.5 instead of just yeah, a five and i think i'd agree with that i think but in terms of like games that I've played this year, like this is one of the huge events, and it's one that I've played the most of in the shortest time. It's one that I'm. It's kind of really won me over on Smash when really I was like, oh, I'll play it occasionally if people want to play. It. But 
I was up till like 3 a.m. for the last three nights playing the like nine volt battle and like all these spirit battles and stuff. But um, yeah, like I, like it's not perfect though. The online sucks. Does it? I, like we, I, I've tried it in the office a few times, and it is like unplayable for us. Okay, like we tried it three meters apart from each other, and it didn't and it, and it was like honestly like five frames a second. Yeah, yeah, and it was okay. yeah, it was bad. So it honestly feels like it's so variable. Like yeah, when I'm yeah. playing at home, it's fine. Like I'm playing with four people. There's like hardly any frame rate drops. Like occasionally I get a little bit, but often it's perfectly smooth with only a little bit of input delay. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Like I can, I can roll with this. I can understand why uh, the top level players are mad mm. because they're like sitting here going, I can't play one v one easily. Like Smash Brothers mm-hmm. doesn't make it easy to do that, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Like, but it's also not a development priority. Like online is just people act like online should be a priority and it's not. It's no. just straight up is not a development priority it, It's for a party Smash. game. It's a yeah. party game, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's not made for these, like, big Evo, yeah. like, tournaments and online Well, tournaments. no, it is now. It is more now. and more. Yeah. This is, but, like, one of the first... But it's, down. like, we are making it for these local tournaments. We are not making it for an online tournament. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's like they would rather have, like, four people crowded around one TV than mm-hmm. four people playing separately, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, that's what the Nintendo Switch is. Just pass out a Joy-Con to a different, like, people all around you and get them playing. It's... I mean, you can criticize them for that decision, but yeah. I, I think it is funny to me that ultra-high-level competitive people are holding it to the same standard of, say, Street Fighter V, yeah. when it's just not Street Fighter V. It's just never going to be. Like, they only reluctantly put in all this competitive stuff. It's like, I guess these people exist. Yep. And I guess they insist in putting in an Evo. Here you go. And it doesn't have advertising in it like Street Fighter V. <laughs> <laughs> like those tattoos, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that stupid storyline mm. today. Yeah. Like and Bud then, Light or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. So, Kieran, interestingly enough, so Celeste is number two on our list. We've only talked a little bit about the soundtrack. We haven't actually really had a chance to dive into it. Oh. And so I guess maybe it makes sense to kind of wrap up this conversation by, like, talking about, you know, one of... It's certainly in my top three, and I've actually seriously debated whether I should put it above Red Dead. Because when I look at... Okay, so when I look at Red Dead, like, I go, okay, well, with Red Dead, I am slightly at odds with certain, like aspects of a design when i look at uh god of war like i don't like the traversal puzzles in fact i hate the traversal puzzles Mm -hmm. and i think there are dumb aspects of it like the fact that they go to hell twice Mm -hmm. you know things like that (laughs) but when i look at celeste like it's just this perfectly compact beauty of a game that's so well designed with a perfect soundtrack and a great little story and i'm just like this is great this is like the wonderful little independent movie of the year. I can't fault it personally. Yeah. This is, and that's the difference. Yeah, that is. I think I think you kind of nailed it by calling it a bit of an independent movie because when I put it up against games like Red Dead, I'm like, okay, how many hundreds of people made this at Rockstar across like three different studios in three different continents, and then you look at Celeste and it's like ten people made this, no, like less than ten people put this together like some of them live in brazil one of them lives in canada mm-hmm. a couple of them lives in, live in the states in seattle yeah yeah and yeah and it's like it was just modern game development yeah, my yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. um but it's just like i felt like celeste was a bit of an underdog this year 
And I'm like, I'm not saying that I. Always... It had staying power. It did, and have, I, it did have staying power, which yeah. surprised me. Yeah. Um, I think that it was down to two factors. First of all, it just was that good. Yeah. Uh, but it was also on Switch. Yeah. And so, like, people, a lot of people played it um, at a time when there weren't wasn't that much coming out in January. And it's just, I think, I think if it had come out in September, it would have gone on past re- relatively unnoticed. But because it was like the word of mouth was so strong, like everybody just kind of inevitably ended up picking up. Yeah, it's it's literal only competitor that month was Monster Hunter World. Yes. And they couldn't be more different. And Dragon Ball. Yeah, and Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah, it was actually a pretty strong month. Yeah, it it was a really strong month. But on Switch. Yeah, both both went on Switch. Yeah, exactly. It was, was, um, you know, it it carved its own little niche out in January. But, um, like, with Celeste, it did assisted difficulty so well and I'm. I, there is another game that I was thinking of, like at the time back when it came out, and I, I compared the two. And the thing of, with Celeste is that it kind of, it it puts its assisted difficulty to one side, and if you want to use it, it won't penalize you for it, um, and it also won't, it won't, um, it, um, it won't look down on you for using that assisted difficulty. And also, like even, even if you turn assisted assists like on in that game. Um, it can yeah, you, you can still customize them. Like you can give yourself just one extra jump in midair, or like two. Um, and as someone who really doesn't like hardcore precision platformers, like that was a, not a Meat Boy fan. Yeah, <laughs> not a Meat Boy fan. Um, yeah, it's it's like, less of a hardcore puzzle uh, platformer and more of a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To you're, you're solving yeah, the route, mm-hmm. and then once you figure it out and you actually accom- execute on it, yeah. it's like yes, that was awesome. Yeah. And like I love, I love all of the different characters in that game. Like there's hmm. a, the guy that owns the that guy one. from Seattle. Sort of Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's that like uh, guy that floats in the, the hotel. ghost guy. Yeah, yeah, the hotel, the concierge. Yeah. And um, every level has its own little arc, and some of them are just yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And um, like when it closes out the hotel level with that kind of semi-boss battle, running endless runner kind of section. The um, hotel level might be the best of them, except yeah, for all the yeah. rest. But yes. yeah. the hotel, the whole lo- hotel level is really elaborate in terms is, of figuring out all of the different ways that you're getting rocketed through the level. Mm-hmm. It was good stuff. Yeah, and it's like less than ten people made that game, like spread out across different countries, and I, like I think that's kind of something to champion. I uh, a side note, really quickly, the composer of that game <laughs> made the theme music for this uh, podcast. So shout out to Lena. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing with Celeste is, I think what really sold me on it is that I recommended it to my friend who plays games. She owns a Switch, but she's not a hardcore gamer. And, like, she, you know, she has struggled with kind of harder games in the past. But Celeste ended up really speaking to her. She really enjoyed it. She was able to get through it and, like, work her way through the various challenges and it, and it has a powerful message, which I, like, kind of incorporate into my own personal philosophy, which is basically trusting yourself, like, being able to climb those heights and conquer your inner demons. And I, I think that's a worthwhile message, a very worthwhile message. Like, rather than kind of the darkness of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a examination of a false messiah and losing faith, this is, like, gaining faith. Yeah, it's um like I I think they do point it out in Celeste how the mountain is a metaphor, and while you're playing, you you're, gee think <laughs> yeah yeah they they're like oh wow the mountain is a metaphor huh? um but it it never really kind of takes the piss out of that to an extent it's mm-hmm. like yeah 
it's like yeah the mountain is a metaphor like so what like get over it we're doing this we're like we're climbing the mountain it's so genuine in that like you said someone that you you recommended your friend a hard game Mm. it's a hard game but it is encouraging and if it was telling you, if it was making fun of you at every juncture, you probably wouldn't play it. You probably wouldn't try again. Like a game like. Well, you die know. and then you just come back. Come and back, yeah. Like, and that's why it's like a puzzle game, right? Yeah. So you're trial and error. And you think like games like Wolfenstein 2, which put a literal like baby's bonnet on your character if you died too many times <laughs> and had to put the difficulty down. Like that just kind of makes you want to, I don't know, like personally makes me just be like, well, why would I Screw do Screw you, game. But Celeste yeah. being like, do you know what? It's, it's okay to die. This is how many times you've died. It's ridiculous and it doesn't matter. That's really cool, I think. Oh, the the messenger makes fun of you, which I I, yeah, no, I really liked the messenger, and I didn't like talk about it on this podcast. But it has that stupid little demon who follows mm. around, like munching your uh, your gems and basically mocking you on every like resurrection screen. <laughs> I think that's a Ninja Gaiden yeah. thing for sure. Though. Oh, it's very much a this is an old school yeah. LOL. Like the actual death penalty is very light, mm-hmm. all things considered, but they're still going to like tease you a bit for dying. But you you've been selling me on that game like all year since it came out and I've still been meaning to play it. It's pretty good. I mean, uh, it's so well done from like a retro graphics standpoint, like it's really beautiful. Um these, the gen, uh, when it transitions into an open world game and becomes like a 16-bit game and then goes back to 8-bit and then 16-bit, like those graphics are so perfectly done. Mm-hmm. And then the actual mechanics are really solid. Like they establish them really early on. The controls are really sharp and it just works. Like the design like is just as tight, in my opinion, as Celeste. And uh, I ended up really enjoying it. Like it is a well-executed concept. So looking back on the entirety of the year, I'm just like, final thoughts. 2018, we're, we're done. We wrapped it up. Good year, bad year. Does it live up to what we got from 2017? Good year. Really good year. But I don't know if it's good as good as 2017. I can't. I'm trying to think what came out in 2017. Breath of the, Breath Wild. Of the Wild. Breath of the Persona Wild. 5, Persona 5. Nier Automata. Yakuza 0. Yes. Assassin's Creed Origins. I think mm. the Xbox One X, COD, WW2, Horizon Zero Dawn, which I know we don't like to mention on this website. We do not talk about that game. <laughs> and the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Like 2017 yeah. was the year of the Switch. So like Mario Odyssey as well. Yeah, Mario Odyssey. Yep. So, um, I think it's been. I think this year's been better, but that's mainly because I'm not a huge fan of a lot of those games that we just mentioned. Heretic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think yeah, I think it's been like it's, I'm not sure we mentioned the other the other half of this podcast like Forza Horizon Four, which I think is a really really good game. Forza Horizon Four is an excellent game. Mm. It's weirdly underappreciated. I think it's yeah. because it's on a on Xbox, on Xbox and B. Yeah. It's a driving game. Yeah. But it's a hell of a driving game. Yeah. Like Forza Horizon Three, I thought was the best driving game ever made, and this is coming from someone who's not a big gearhead and doesn't play a lot of driving games. So please take my comments with a grain of salt. But I mean. I've dabbled a lot in the driving genre over the years. I've played Gran Turismo and all of that. And, like, I don't know. Like, Forza Horizon is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Burnout, baby. Burnout. I think it went down quite well in the UK as well because it's, yeah. mm. it's very funny it seeing... Is, it's so weird. Like, there's, like, like, um, like, the little white road signs. Yeah. Just the things problem, that, like, yeah, we don't get a lot of representation. It's really, like, you know? I don't know how. Like, it just really makes you like it a lot more by it's, having yeah. road signs that It's a game set in the UK that somehow yeah. doesn't have London. Yeah. Or Liverpool. Yeah. Or Manchester. Uh-huh. Or really any northern, like, European. Like, it, they don't... Why didn't they have York? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a little theme park. 
Mm. If the UK was like distributed mm. into a theme park, it's kind of like all these little bits, but they're all instantly recognizable. I mean, driving through Edinburgh was awesome. Yeah, it's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's the greatest hits collection, right? Yeah. Of yeah. like Northern England, and that's fine. It's really enjoyable. Yeah. Jake, what are your thoughts? Um, I personally think this year was better than last year. Um, I there was no lull at all for me. There was a consistently a great game out at all times, and I think. Nintendo didn't have the strongest showing this year, but there were sort of games that were like de facto Nintendo Switch games, like Celeste. I, I always just kind of associate that with, with Nintendo Switch, but I think Sony, it was kind of Sony's year. Yeah. Like, and just God of War and Spider-Man, and like Detroit was, was okay, people like Detroit, but having a, those big games coming out regularly was awesome. But I just think it was great because it... I had like this huge backlog going into 2018 and I was like, oh, well, I'll get to that when we have these down <laughs> down periods. And there just really wasn't for me. In, I would in say year. that, yeah, it was kind of the year of Sony, but it was more the year of Fortnite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fortnite, everyone's lunch. Yeah. for I mean, for sure. Like sitting at GDC, talking to a Sony uh, like account executive and them being like, I am actually nervous about... Uh, uh, he didn't say nervous. He said, I think that Fortnite is going to, like, you're going to see a lot of, like, down sales for third-party games. And we did see that. Yeah. Like, yeah. the games yeah. that weren't the biggest mm-hmm. suffered notably because people were just too busy playing uh, Fortnite or something. Yeah, I bet you can attribute, like, Dark Side, a bit of Dark Side 3 to that. Battlefield. Hitman yeah. 2. Yeah. Hitman Anything 2, that fell yeah. between the cracks really fell between the cracks this yeah. year. Yeah. 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 And I think this year as well, like, crossplay was a huge thing like that's, that was a big deal that's been really cool and I think like next year's gonna we're gonna see more games with that I, I think Destiny is gonna go personally but I, I don't think Destiny is going to uh, potentially I think Destiny has kind of like reached its point like it's it's reached the point of saturation mm-hmm. and people are kind of done with it yeah I mean they were kind of, they were literally giving it out for free yeah um, like a month ago a couple months ago I was having lunch with Tom Phillips who from Eurogamer who is a big Destiny guy, and he said that nobody in the office plays it anymore. No, it's just like they're just not that invested. And I think it's just at the point, this point, it's been out for five years. Uh, at the end of the day, Destiny Two is not that different from Destiny One, uh, like maybe mechanically. And people are like, I've played enough Destiny. I'm gonna go play Fortnite now. Yeah, they um, actually. I think like what I will say is that Gambit is like the best multiplayer thing I've played this year mm. like by a long way um, but no one played it because it was locked behind a paywall behind Destiny 2 which no one played anyway right um, but with yeah with Destiny 3 it's like you know like go go big or go home they need like, to they need to do like them like you were talking about in the office with Monster Hunter how they've just supported it without charging money. Yeah. I know they've got the expansion coming, but yeah. um, we've got an article coming on the site, which I'm not sure when it's coming before or after this podcast because we're recording ahead of time. But and it details how like everything in Destiny, like you, there's all these expansions and content you pay for, and it just splits the user base up massively. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing it's still in like Call of Duty, but something like other games have gone for the everyone gets everything and the the money is spent on like the cosmetics and that kind of thing because it keeps the community together whereas destiny is you might pick up the base game but then you haven't bought the expansion or the next expansion or the see like the premium pass thing they're doing now whatever that is with with monster hunter what like they've really nailed is respecting player time um so not just doing like massive content drops that people don't have the time to get back for it's like We'll give you like one new monster a month. Go and hunt it. Go and farm it. Um, 
like you can create new gear you can just drop back in and out whenever you want there are no kind of paywalls or level barriers to accessing new content it's just there when you want and i mean and it's no surprise that monster hunter world is still fairly strong mm -hmm. and is going like when they announced the iceborne expansion yep. oh i'm so excited it's awesome yeah that's going to be one of the best things in next year and speaking of which, like, it just, you guys made me think of, like, the Xbox Game Pass. Like, that's been kind of an underrated thing. It's really good. Yep. Yeah. Really like, good. I mean, it was a big deal for, like, Sea of Thieves in particular. I think a game that would have been a total flop without it. Like, it's, yeah. Sea of Thieves matters because of Game Pass. <laughs> and Xbox has found a model that works and it won't be long before everybody else is doing it too. Yeah, yeah. I think Sony will beef up their yeah. PlayStation now. I mean, they've, they've already started, like, you can now download stuff, and I think they will push into that. But the stats were, like, PlayStation Now is doing pretty well PlayStation well, Now right? is, like, the most popular, I think, Which is crazy service. to me, but I think... Surely because PlayStation is winning, I think. But Yeah, it's got to be. They've got to... I think if they want to compete, like, next-gen Xbox will do better, I think, than it has done. Yeah. And Game Pass is going to be an amazing way to just, like, day one, you're probably going to get, like, three or four sort of Xbox exclusives included with your Game Pass sub, plus you're going to have a load of games that are backwards compatible included as well. And then Sony, have, if they want to, like, they're going to drop their price of PlayStation Now. And also, the, like, the first-party stuff being included in Game Pass is just really, really good. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And even, like, the last week, we've had, what, Ashen, Below, they added, like, more Combat, Pairs... PUBG was recently. PUBG right? was PUBG recently. Was like yeah. December's yeah. got an amazing amount of games on Game mm -hmm. Pass, and you can just like you can pick it up for like a trial for a pound, and you've got like a pound a month for an amazing amount of games. It's, it's really really good. Mm. And meanwhile, Switch Online is like what kind of a joke? Yeah, like people sucks. aren't talking about how this is this service is not worth it no. because no. the flagship frigging game is Smash Brothers. Mario Kart Eight and Smash Brothers ought to be flagship services on the game, and their online is not worth it. Mm. Yeah. Fortnite is like one of the flagship multiplayer games on the serve on the Switch, and it doesn't even need it. Yeah, you don't need it. And mm. It's crazy because it's so cheap, but it's still not. It's, it's still, still not, not worth it. it. Yeah. I it's... mean, I have it, but only because Nintendo gave me a code. And the only reason I would want to keep it is because I kind of like having the classic games come yeah. into my Switch. That's the only reason. I think when they add SNES, SNES but games, even then, compared maybe. to Game Pass, it's like come mm -hmm. on. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. I think the worst thing that they could have done with Switch Online was um, launching it after the launch of Splatoon Two, because that really cut down their player base. And that, now it's like I, I mean, Splatoon Two is the only thing I'd go back for now. I wouldn't. Go, I wouldn't play Smash Bros Online. I wouldn't. Um, you know, go for Mario Kart 8 online, but I would go back to Splatoon. Splatoon is definitely uh, their flag, their best multiplayer game for oh, sure. Fact, like yeah. best online multiplayer game yeah. for sure. Has it really cut down on the player base? That yeah, sucks. Yeah, it did. It did. We it's, saw like a massive drop off in uh, like weekly traffic for it uh, when the Switch Online hit because it was behind a pay paywall. Right? Ah, such a bummer. Yeah, yeah. There were also like a lot, a lot of kids playing it. And exactly. Mm. They just, exactly. There was those really sad stories of like um, people leaving each other messages like yeah, the week yeah, before, yeah. like the online being like, hey, I'm going, <laughs> yeah. so like goodbye. And there's like Aww. all these players kind of just being like, I can't, we can't get online, so we can't play together anymore. And that, that sucks. Yeah. They should have just thrown that in as a free... I think the stuff that launched you know. before, I think they should have kept. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so, totally. Yeah. Big mistake. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And also thanks to Katie, Mike, Matt, and Nadia for doing their half. It's been an epic podcast, like three hours, completely <laughs> ridiculous. But 
I mean, I think we did a really good job of encapsulating the year that was video games. And thanks so much for listening. Axel Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Katie is at you may Katie. Uh, Mike is at Automatic Zen. Jake, what's your Twitter handle? It's, it's just Jake underscore K <laughs> underscore Green. There you go. Heron. Mine is just Heron Cryer one what? word. Okay, Heron Cryer one word. <laughs> and Tom, are you on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at VG Tomo. Yes, yeah, so if you want to hear all of their wonderful opinions about video games, which you do because you're listening to this podcast, you should totally follow them right away and follow us on all of the other social media networks for US Gamer. And well, we're pretty much going on vacation. There will be one last Blood God episode with Nadia and me in which we wrap up the rest of the year in RPGs and pick our favorites. So please look forward to that. And we'll talk about Dragon Quest XI. Don't worry. Uh, but until then, for the entire US Gamer team, thanks for sitting here listening to us for the past three hours ramble on about video games from the past 2018. And thanks so much for supporting US Gamer throughout the entire year. We are looking forward to a really great year next year. And we're... Glad to have you with us. But until then, I've been Cat Bailey. Happy adventuring. Thank you.